0: up night fans this is the black and gold Banneret podcast jeff sharon eric lopez with you here and eric boy was this did this we thought this would be like you know not much going on A couple things come around the corner all of a sudden we had a big news week in ucf sports this week
1: that's an understatement we got news all over the place i mean it is wild right now when it rains
0: it pours man i'll tell you that but uh but well anyway welcome into the show uh, we got a lot to talk about here. We're going to lead with women's basketball with a huge, huge win this week. Also, men's basketball with a win on the same night. Uh, we've got uh, our big baseball preview. Last week, we did our uh, softball preview with head coach Renee Louise Gillespie. This week, the new UCF baseball coach, Greg Lovelady, um, joined us. I interviewed him, actually, earlier this week on uh, on Media Day. Great talk with him. You're going to want to hear that. Um, and a lot, a lot more to talk about. we got... Football schedule came out. Um, you know, we talk we're talking a little more a little bit more softball, opening up the season. Just we're like totally swamped in this show. So here we go. Let's get started. Uh before you um before anything else, make sure you follow us on Twitter. You, if you don't already, UCF underscore banneret. You can get all the latest updates from us on blackandgoldbanneret.com or also on Facebook uh at Black and Gold Bannerette. You can follow me on Twitter at Jeff underscore Sharon and you can follow Eric at Eric Lopez, Elo, and you can subscribe to this podcast via iTunes, SoundCloud, Google Play, and TuneIn Radio. So, without further ado, Eric Lopez, let's dive right in. Sounds UCF women's basketball. So they kind of been. I tell you, we were waiting for this signature win from Coach Abe's first year, and finally it came. And it couldn't have been it couldn't have come in a better better time as they go to the Sun Dome on Valentine's night, Tuesday, and they knock off the number 22-ranked USF Bulls, 66-62. to 62. It's UCF's first-ever win for, for women's basketball, first-ever win at the Sun Dome in school history, first-ever win over a ranked opponent, and it happens in Coach, uh, in coach Abe's first year, uh, and it's in the uh, War on I four series, which is you know all the more fun because we get an extra we get we get the points there um, in the uh, all, in the All Sports Trophy. Um, some of the highlights from the game: So UCF um, was down five at the end of one, but then ripped off a twenty to six second quarter. Whoa, thirty four points for Aaliyah Gregory. She was outstanding in this game. Um, the, uh what Coach Abe, I thought, you know, talked about with Aaliyah saying, you know, she might be the, she might be the best player on the team, if you're not careful, uh, came to fruition. She's a Tampa native, went back home, and had a career game. 34 points. Knights' first win over a ranked opponent in the Division One era. And, um, wow. We saw how, I, I was really impressed how they closed out the game because uh, they built a big lead— then USF, you knew they were going to chip into it. You know how good their shooters are. I saw them firsthand, how good, how good they were, because they throttled Cincinnati. They made Cincinnati look bad on that floor. And they come back against UCF, and UCF just, the defense was outstanding. And they get the win by four uh, over USF. You watched the game, too. What would you think?
1: Amazing. I mean, you mentioned Aaliyah Gregory. She dominated 20 points in the first half, 34 for career How You could tell she was jacked up. And they were into it. It was an emotional game. We got, it got even testy at times in the second half. Yeah. You knew USF was going to make a run in that fourth quarter, right? And you're wondering, can they hold on? And you know they were able to get big possessions. Zai Lewis would make some shots. They would get some offensive rebounds and putbacks. You know, Fifi and Dor, uh and company. So Fifi had that
0: huge rebound late yeah, in the game. That that yeah. huge offensive rebound that sealed it.
1: Big and just to hold off USF and get a win there. And really, for people that don't understand this, I mean, it's the first win since 1980. Goes back 19 straight games. They didn't play every year during that stretch, obviously, right. but 19 straight wins. They've never won at USF. It's uh, it it. Wow, it was just surreal. And if you had a chance to go to social media, you go to the UCF underscore I think women's basketball. They had the video in the afterwards and the emotion when that game, Jeff. Did you see the emotion? Yeah. The the clock went to zero and UCF won. The players and the coaches just celebrated, and they celebrated in the locker room. It wasn't just an ordinary win. I mean, they knew, they understood the significance of that win uh, from a program standpoint, from a historical standpoint, and uh, nobody saw it coming. Certainly, USF didn't see it coming. Um, And it's the only meeting that those two teams have as far as the regular season's concerned. So it's worth six points. In the I four trophy that you're right. talking about, that's, that's a big six
0: points thing. in that in that in that race.
1: Because let's be honest about this, I'm sure if people projected the the points, if you do all that stuff, I mean, women's basketball for USF was the favorite to get those six points. I'm sure some at the over there figured they had that in their pocket. Um, so that's significant from that standpoint. And you know, you mentioned you saw USF, but USF's had a .25 program for a while now and their coach Jose Fernandez. So it's not it's a legit top 25 team and for coach Katie Aberson Henderson to come in in her first meeting in that rivalry to come in there and get a win, you talk about a message sent from a signature win for the program, a signature win for her. They have 16 wins. They've now doubled their win total from last year. I mean, yo, that is a a statement as it gets. It's it's the biggest win, in my opinion. You've covered the women's basketball longer than I have. It's To me, it's the biggest win in the regular season by far in program history. And it's probably up there with probably the, you know, I would still put the conference championship tournament wins ahead of it because that got you into the NCAA tournament, which is the name of the game. But outside of that, there's not a bigger win for this program history than that one.
0: In terms of regular season, i I, racking my brain going back 15 years of covering UCF women's basketball. I don't remember a bigger one. No. There have been some big ones. This was the biggest one of them all. By the way, Leah Gregory went over the uh, 1,000-point mark in the first quarter. Of her over 1,000 career points, she scored 123 of them in the last three games. She had 28 at Memphis, 28 against Houston, Thirty-three against Tulsa, now thirty-four uh, against USF. So uh, actually, hundred twenty-three over the past four. So that's 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 how you quickly get to a thousand career points. But um, we are seeing her really step it up, and uh, and and credit also to Zyla. The one thing that concerned me a little bit, you know, overall, was the fact that only five players scored. Uh, Zyla Lewis was four of nineteen, not a very good shooting night for her. Most of those were from, uh, were from inside the arc, though, believe it or not. She was only two of seven from three-point range. Usually, we're used to seeing her shoot mostly from outside. But she finished with 12 points and two assists. Um, but it was all Aliyah Gregory in this game. And UCF shot 42%. They held USF to 41%. Um, Kitty Alaksa, they just locked her down. She's USF's best player. She finished with 10 points and 6 rebounds on 4 of 11 shooting. Um, she's been in a slump. That, that Even in the Cincinnati game, they did a good job on her. But the problem for the Cincinnati, in that Cincinnati game that I was at, was uh, Maria Jesperson was really good. And they held Jesperson to 6 of 15 from the field and 18 points. She was the leading scorer for USF. And she had a career high against Cincinnati, tied her career high. So, um, overall, I just, you, you got to be impressed with the the defensive job that UCF did against usf and uh and that's how you beat a ranked team
1: it is and now you know they're six and six in the conference with a home game against east carolina on saturday they're within striking distance to be a top four or top five team in the conference and the reason why that is significant jeff the top five teams that finish in the top five in the conference in the regular season get a bye into the quarterfinals of the conference tournament now four will play five in the quarterfinal round. So, but UCF right now, if you look at the conference, you've got UConn. I mean, was going to be the number one seed? I mean, that's done. I mean, right. <laughs> yeah, there you go. But then you've got a tight race for second between uh, Temple and USF. And that was Temple's a, a game goal. up right now. Yeah, I mean Temple. It, it was been maybe the surprise. If, if if Coach Abe doesn't, I mean, Coach Abe should get consideration for conference coach of the year. Considering the turnaround of this program, being a bottom team in the conference to right now a team that's right there with 16 wins and in the mix for a top five. Now, obviously, Gino, you can give it to him every year. And then I think Temple's coach certainly will get consideration. They just reached the top 25 for the first time in a decade. I think I mean, Fernandez here- should get some, sh- some some consideration, too, considering he does, the he's He does. He's done. I mean, I mean, that's the thing, Jeff. So much focus nationally and all that when it comes to women's basketball is about UConn and the scores they put yeah. up. Well, and this also is the fact that they've won
0: 100 consecutive games. Correct. But by the not, way, that's
1: not hyperbole. They actually
0: have won 100 yes. consecutive games.
1: So the thing that maybe is under the radar here is this has been a a great year for the American Conference of Women's Basketball. They are in position to have three teams going to the NCAA tournament, maybe four Uh, The way it's projecting, which I don't think they've ever had since the American Conference has been built. So, which which brings up an interesting question. You know, I think it tells you you because there's always been that question about is you having UConn in the league good or bad for you because UConn's beating you down and stuff like that. But I think the fact that we're at the conference is going to have three possibly four teams in the tournament. And when I say those teams, I'm talking about Temple, USF, as you mentioned, and possibly Tulane. Uh, They're all within the top uh, 41 in the RPI. Tulane's 41, USF's like 23, Temple's like 24. It tells you that having UConn in the league does, I think, help out the league Not from the standpoint. I think the teams beneath them are getting better, don't you? They're getting better because the recruiting pitches, and I've talked to Coach Abe about this, you don't have to go anywhere else if you want the best competition. The best competition resides in your conference with the best team in the country. Yeah, you want to play get,
0: against wanna, the best? Here you go. Here we are.
1: Literally. Really. So, and, and for Coach Abe, and we haven't, you know, Cincinnati's a team that you both, you and I saw. They're a very good team. They're a post, you know, type of team. They'll probably go NIT. But now UCF is in with that win, Jeff, has a chance when you look at their schedule remaining here. If they could, you know. Take care of some business. I think they can get themselves into the conversation of maybe being a postseason basketball team, whether it be the WNIT, the Women's NIT, or the uh, there is a women's version of the CBI. I believe it's the uh, WBI uh, is called actually. I'm not even because mm-hmm. uh, I was doing some research on this getting ready for the the telecast I'm doing this Saturday. I'm calling the UCF East Carolina game. So this team and coach doesn't want to hear about this stuff. But if they can take care of some business and finish strong this year and maybe finish in that top four, top fourth, fifth place in the conference and get themselves a buy into the quarterfinals, maybe win a game or two, they could maybe sneak in to a postseason tournament, which would be remarkable considering where this program has been the last couple years, which has been at the bottom.
0: Here's what I'm looking at right now. They have have three of their last four at home. East Carolina, which is the game you're doing. East Carolina is the bottom feeder of the conference. At Tulane, that's going to be tough. But Tulane's right big with him in the standings. Big game yep. that's on yep. a Wednesday night. That's also on the yep. American Digital Network. Home for SMU should be a win. Finish the season home for Temple. Temple big obviously game. like that's a, think, that's yeah. another big game. So if you so there's a possibility that they could get through those last four games. They could win out. And if they win out.
1: They're at least at go 3 20, and 1.
0: They're at 20 wins. Wow. 20 wins in your first season under Coach Ape. Now, they could, very good possibility they go, th- even if you go 3 and 1, that's 19 wins in your first
1: right. year with your, with your new head coach. So with a strong possibility of maybe, you know, and it depends on who they beat and stuff, right. a possibility of being a top four or fifth t- seed in the tournament, which gets you a bye-bye into the quarterfinal. That's a big success. In in year number God, one, and and,
0: and, and the trajectory is still upward because we know how good that they're going to be going forward. Well, it, it,
1: it's with none of the none the of these players she recruited. Like right. this was all. It's outside of KK Wright, the freshman point guard, right? And you and uh, maybe who, by the way, people. has
0: has struggled this year at times. Yeah, it's gone um, through a growing. As, go, a, as the, you would expect a from a freshman point guard absolutely. who has to do what she's been doing, right?
1: Correct, but that's the thing. These are not her players. These players are the same players that haven't won the last couple of years. That's what's so remarkable about this. He has maximized the most out of this team that just blows me away. And, and think about this: they could have won the Virginia Tech game. That one. You look at their losses. That came mm-hmm. down to the last possession. The Buffalo game came down to the last possession. I believe you were at the Memphis home game. That came down to the last possession as well. I mean, they, they lost. It's been, they lost by
0: five on the road to SMU. They lost by six yeah. on the road to Memphis. Um, yeah, I, Let there me was a, them. what else? The UC Davis game, they lost by six at home. That was non-conference. At Cincinnati, they lost by six. At a uh, home home from Memphis, they lost by three. So Tough they've, game, they've yeah. lost some close games. Sure. Uh, um, you mentioned they, they lost by one point to Buffalo. Yep. So, um... So that's that, that's it, it, that's a bunch of really really close losses that which you know, is totally
1: different than what we've seen the last few yeah, years. Yeah, they would completely in the fold regime. in these close in, yeah. in, you
0: know. So they've been competitive in close games. They would completely they used to just totally fold especially on the road, but Correct. Um, yeah, this is just an impressive win, huge win for the program. Well, and Saturday and, and now I want to see how they recover Saturday against a
1: team that they well, should throttle in East Carolina three things about that. Yeah, number one. I think one of the reasons and and, and you were there when coach Oriyama made this comment because they asked him about the difference between this year's UCF team and last year's UCF team and he talked about how they were much more in your face, right? Remember that what he said yep. that they were they were much more much in your more face. Aggressive. They were a much more aggressive team and he Remember this, I remember that he liked that team. He said they're going to win games. He said, you know, they're not a good and it was funny. He was like, well, they're not a good matchup for us, but <laughs> Yeah, you know. Who is? Who is? But he <laughs> But he said they he said they were going to give a lot of teams problems in the conference. And I think people kind of whistled at that, right? They bristle, oh, he's just being nice, right? That was a, But he's been accurate about that. To be you fair, know, at that
0: team. point in the season, they UCF actually did probably the best defensive job against UConn. Yeah that anyone else had done in the conference season to that point.
1: They're number one in the American conference in scoring defense. I'm talking about UCF I'm talking about. They're number one in the American conference in forcing turnovers. They force teams over 20 turnovers a game. Their identity has been defense. That's why they're all in these games. And I think so they have really bought into Coach Abe's defensive philosophy. I don't think they have the offensive talent and that's why they kind of are on and off offensively. To your point about the East Carolina game, they played East Carolina earlier this year in Greenville. <laughs> that was they were down forty to thirty-six in the fourth quarter of that game. They went on, they finished the game on an eighteen to two run. Did UCF to win that game, fifty-four to forty-two. But it was not the most artistic game. So uh, this team still has holes on offense. They're basically carried by Aliyah Gregory and Zai Lewis. And you mentioned that Gregory carried him in the win over USF. And she's still got another year left in her after mm-hmm. this year. That's the exciting thing. And uh, maybe you can call me out on this and you can t- disagree with me. But I think if Gregory continues on this projection, by the time her career ends at UCF, you can make the argument that she might end up being the best women's basketball player to ever wear the black and gold uh, colors Ooh. at UCF. You tell me. Like right now, you tell me. Because I, I've, I, I, I've seen some good ones. Chelsea Wiley, Francesca, uh, Houston kid. Um, Francine Houston, I see- yeah. Thank you. Yes, and and um, I just the more I've seen of Gregory, and you mentioned how the the terror she's in. I mean, that's not even counting the, the the Cincinnati game that you and I were at. The game I called earlier this year, where she took over the game in the second half. She has a great mid range jumper uh, game, which you have compared to Richard Hamilton. She could uh, she could drive to the basket Could she shoot from the outside. She's got the everything, and uh, I I think she has a shot to be maybe the best UCF women's basketball player of
0: all time. She's a, she would be. She, she has a shot to be in that all-time starting five. I think that's for sure. Um, I, I want to see how this, how the rest of the season plays out. And, you know, next year she's going to get the ball even more because Zai Lewis is actually, you know, uh, yeah, and, yeah. and look, Zai can play and she can shoot. So you got to get her the ball too. But, um, you know, Zai's the senior this year. She's not going to be back next year. So no. you know, so that means more opportunities for Aaliyah. Uh, well, You've got a couple other people coming up the pike that are going to be pretty good too, though. Right. Um, that may take some opportunities away from her. But, if I mean, if this keeps up, I mean, my goodness, she's, she really is super, super talented.
1: And, and Coach Aves have said this for weeks, so it's not like a bandwagon thing. She hopes that Gregory gets all conference, you know, recognition. She should, uh, I think. First, you know, yeah, the
0: no, way I I, have been playing the last two weeks. It's been amazing.
1: There's no question about it, and and you know who I've talked to her. You know who she compares her to. You know which women's basketball great player she compares her to. Hmm. I don't know. You see if you remember this, Jackie Styles. Oh yeah, you're yeah, right.
0: You're right, Jackie Styles.
1: Southwest. Uh, was a tremendous player, which was an, a fascinating compliment. She went on to play in the WNBA. So, and I think Gregory might have a shot to play in the WNBA. Now, yeah, we're getting far. She's still got another year and stuff. But I've been very impressed with her and and you could don't you feel that when she's playing confident in her game that they, they 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 kind of feed off of that
0: yeah and the way you know that she's doing it is that she she doesn't care about where she is on the floor when she yeah. gets the ball out on the wing and she makes her way toward that free throw line and then pulls up and hits that j if she starts hitting that and hitting it frequently it's going to be a good night and everyone does feed off of that because it's like they, they you, you can't stop that you just can't. Yep. It's it's such a it's such a great weapon for her. And We saw that. Um, I thought in particular in that one Tulsa game, um, they they just let her shoot that constantly, thinking, oh she'll eventually. She just took what they gave her, and she had a huge game in that game as well, just making yep. that shot constantly. So if that continues to happen, yeah, she's going to be um, things are going to continue to get better for her. So, um, like I mentioned, they they have three of the last four at home, so we got to see how that rolls out. So. Um, switching gears over to the men's team. They got a big win this very same night um, at home. They were at home for this game against uh, Tulsa. Um, Tulsa obviously struggling this year, but, you know, you got to get the win. They did so by 18 points. And this kind of threw me back to, you know, it it looked like a game that, first of all, UCF needed to win because they're right next to Tulsa in the standings right now in the conference. And you beat them by 18 points. At home, 71-53. to uh, 53. Nick Banyard had a big night. UCF was only up by four at the half. Really turned it on the second half. Yep. Banyard, uh, 18 points, but a pretty even, evenly divided scoring night. But only five nights actually scored once again. Um, but Banyard had a good night. Five or six from the field. Uh, 18 points, nine boards. Double-double for A.J. AJ Davis, 16-11. and 11. Uh, B.J. Taylor had 15 and three assists. Taco Fall, 4-4 four, four from the field, again, 9 points. Uh, he continues to just not miss from the field <laughs> and, uh, and to go with 7 rebounds. And UCF, uh, I'm looking at the rebounding totals here, 28 rebounds for Tulsa to 40 for UCF. And they shot 52% uh, for the game, 68% in the second half. And that's what got the job done against Tulsa. Game again, the UCF, I think, had to win, and they came through and they got the win. And uh, and right now they stand at sixteen and ten, seven and seven in the league, uh, and they are in the top six in the American right now.
1: Huge win, maybe Banyards. I, I would probably definitely say it's his best conference game as a night.
0: Yeah, he had a couple good ball games when this at the start of the season right. Um, right. in non-conference play. But he uh, but this was his best game of the conference season so far,
1: by far. And it's a huge win. And then we've talked about it. this team has doesn't have a lot of room for error, and. Uh, the fact that you get Banyard of those contributions Davis with the double double i mean they were just much much more in sync in the second half it was actually the opposite of the first meeting in Tulsa where it was an even game in the first half and then Tulsa kind of started to pull away towards the end of the second half well this time it was UCF that pulled away dominated the boards as you mentioned there with the stats and that's a big win to get to 7 and 7 uh you know and now you know and you got through that rough patch of the schedule you know they played well at Cincinnati mhm you know, against the best team in the league, and uh, you didn't get the result. But they've been competitive. Now, interesting stretch here because now they go to East Carolina, I believe. They got three uh, of their last four on the road now. They are yes. at
0: East Carolina. East Carolina is twelve and fourteen, four and nine. Uh, they yes. are at Temple Wednesday the twenty second. Temple uh, is also below UCF in the standings at fourteen and thirteen, five and nine. Home for wow. Cincinnati. We know how good Cincinnati is. 23-3 yep. um, and three this year. Man, are they good. And, yep. uh, and then home to finish, or excuse me, at USF to finish. And USF, of course, having a bad season. So three winnable
1: games, but they're all on the road. Well, One tough it, game yep. at home. And this is going to be fascinating, right? Because, again, we just talked about the women's in the conference tournament situation and where they could be seated and stuff. And if you're the men's team, you're still in the you know, you're trying to you've got Cincinnati, you got SMU, and then you got a bit of a log jam there, right? I mean, I don't know if you have the standings in front of you, but Yeah, I got it right here. UCF right now in sixth at seven
0: and seven, UConn's at seven and five ahead, and the Memphis at eight and five. Below UCF, Tulsa six and seven, Temple five and nine. So but here, you know, but again, another situation, right? Here. Four games left. UCF is at sixteen and ten. They have a shot for twenty wins in the regular season.
1: And they have a shot to be a top, maybe get that fifth spot. I don't think they're going to catch Memphis, personally. it could be wrong. Well, they got uh, UConn ahead of them at fifth. So UConn's at fifth, yeah. and then Memphis you got
0: Memphis. Fourth. Who's in third? Third is Houston at nine and four. And then SMU yep. and Cincinnati are tied at 12 and one.
1: Yeah, that's going to be tough. Your best shot is to maybe hope that Memphis fades a little bit there because the reason I'm I'm bringing that up is, again, as we talked about the women's, if you can get that fifth seed, you get a buy into the quarterfinal. Um, Look, and I know they lost to UConn, and some people are disappointed with that uh, because they lost Saturday, dug themselves a big hole and lost it. You know, UConn's had their issues. But I've said this. I said this on the radio show I do on Saturdays on 1080. Even though UConn has had their issues with their injuries, they've lost guys and stuff like that, They're still a bad matchup for UCF because UConn has physical bigs that give Taco Fall issues and as a result pretty much take them out of the equation, which really hurts UCF from a defensive standpoint, etc. In fact, Taco Fall had two quick fouls, if I remember, in that UConn right. game. So UConn's a bad matchup because guys like Bruma and those bigs, they're just too physical for UCF. They, they so that's were, not good ba-
0: it was a bad matchup in Hartford the first time we played him. That was bad. Yeah. And and we and and this game was basically an instant replay, but just on our home floor. Um, Right. You know, and, you know, that's going to give you a little bit of a a little bit more of an edge. And, yeah, we lost the game by three points, but made a late run, made a but made a late run to make it much close, a much closer game than it was.
1: Right. Right. Um, So back to the schedule. At East Carolina. Now, that's a rematch. The first meeting in Orlando, if you remember, that was quite frank, that was an ugly game. I mean, I remember we weren't we were on actually after that game, and I'm like, do we really have to talk about this game? Because it was one of the worst basketball games ever.
0: Horrible game, and both teams shot like in the low twenties in the percentage. And And East Carolina is not a very good team.
1: No, they're not, Um, and that's why this is a big game. But it's a tough place. You got to go to East Carolina. You got to make the trip. Uh, I think if you're UCF, if you could beat East Carolina, you end the year at USF, which is the worst team in the league. You beat them. And I think, realistically, split Temple and Cincinnati, I would take that 3-1. And, and And even though Temple has struggled, that's still Temple. In fact, Temple just won at Memphis. Um, yeah. And you know that Fran Duffy and Temple are going to be ready after getting embarrassed by UCF on New Year's Eve. And so, they're at home, too, and that's going to be a problem. At home. So that's going to be a tough game. So, And then Cincinnati, as you mentioned, is very good. So, in, in my opinion, realistically, if they can go – that's why this East Carolina game, as weird as it sounds, Jeff, is a huge game because if they can steal that game in East Carolina and win that game and beat USF, like I said, and split Temple and Cincinnati, that gets you three and one, which gets you to 19 wins and gets you what? Uh, that would get you to 10 wins in the conference. Yep. Which? Who would have thought of that? <laughs> right. They would.
0: They would finish 10 and eight in the league. And, and I don't remember uh, them
1: doing that. They haven't done that since they've joined the American that I can remember. I remember they've always been that. in that six, ten I don't even remember the last time they won 10 conference games, period. So, um, you know, why you could look that up here. But, I mean, that tells you what a job Johnny Dawkins has done with this team. Considering the limitations with the lack of depth because, you know, transfers and injuries and so forth. And that's the thing that's amazing about this team is they, they remember, they lost Chance McSpatten even before the year. He got hurt, blew out his ACL, never played a minute. You had BJ Taylor miss time, uh, at the beginning of the conference prior to the conference game with a hand injury. You had AJ Davis miss a, a decent amount of the pre-conference season. Mm-hmm. So, and yet with all that, here they are at seven and seven. Uh, you know, with a chance, as you mentioned, to maybe get to 19 to 20 wins. And that's the thing. If they can get, let's say they get to three and one and they can get to 19 wins, they probably maybe get like the six seed. If they can get the six seed, if the top five is out of the equation, well, you get the six seed. That means you're probably going to play the worst team in the league, which right now would be USF. So there's a scenario where they might be playing USF back to back. They might play them in Tampa the first. They end the regular season and then play them again in Connecticut. Or if UCF finishes, let's say seventh, maybe they get East Carolina instead. Maybe get a win there, get yourself to the quarterfinals, and then at that point, it becomes a question of well, who do you match up better with, right? I mean, that becomes a question of, you know, I think you know who wins the regular season between Cincinnati and SMU. Uh, you know, do you, do you want to play Houston? You've beaten Houston already earlier this year, so maybe you want to be in that side of the draw. Houston probably, if you said, would be the three seed, UCF would have to be the sixth to potentially play him in the quarterfinals. Uh, whereas if you're the seventh seed, for example, you're probably getting Cincinnati or SMU. So that's why these seedings we talk about, and we're going to talk about this more and more in the next couple of weeks, are important because it determines matchups. And I think it's relevant. Because I think UCF, again, men's team has a chance, just like the women. They could play themselves into an NIT or a CBI. Uh, And I think the fact that we're even having that conversation about postseason basketball with the men's program and the women's program, I think speaks volumes to Danny White and the two hires he made, Jeff. Unbelievable hires. I would have never imagined to be this quick of a turnaround in
0: one year. Yeah, I I agree with you on that in terms of the quick turnaround. Quickly looking back at history. Last time UCF won, had double-digit wins in conference. 2011-2012 under Donnie Jones. That was his second year. We were in Conference USA at the time. That was the year UCF went to the NIT and lost in the first round. Finished uh, fourth in the league that year. Um, Prior to that, last time they had uh, double-digit was... Oh, uh, in com- double-digit wins in conference was oh six oh seven, which oh, was yeah. our second conference USA year under Kirk Spirall when they finished eleven and five in the league and finished second.
1: Uh, or, as I like to call it, the uh, winning the the Calipari Trophy. In other words, you know that was when Memphis was winning Conference USA with John Calipari's head coach every year, so you knew you had no shot at regular season. And that so was the Derek Rose st- year, right? <laughs> uh, that was the Chris Douglas Roberts oh, look, CDR year. That's right. Yeah, uh, and those guys. And that was actually, I remember that, they were the two seed. And and one of the crushing, disappointing losses, I'll never forget, they lost to Rice in the opening round of the Conference USA Tournament. Because back at that time, the thinking was, hey, if they can make a run at the Conference Tournament, Mm -hmm. they can get into the NIT. Unfortunately, there was no CBI at the time and stuff like that, so they had no shot of that. So it was either NIT or Bust. And Morris Allman, you remember him, a great player from Rice? Yeah. Hit a big shot towards the end. UCF lost that had like le- two points. Yeah, he had a shot towards the end of the game. UCF got ice cold in the last five minutes of that game, and it was stagnant on offense, and they lost that game, and uh, lost in the opening round, and did not make a postseason, and that was unfortunate because that was a great year, and uh, under today's I think setup with all these tournaments, say what you will, they would have made a postseason tournament. Uh, at least and that was a great UCF team one of the most fun years ever too Uh playing back at the old UCF arena that was the and, and there was you know there was a lot of hoopla back there right because uh, Kirk Sparrow's future was under question because he had new administration at that time but Keith Tribble had just come arrived and and I remember the fan bases and everybody got behind coach Sparrow and, and it was just you know it was just a fun year and it was just a disappointment to end that with Rice but that was a that was an amazing year for UCF. So that that's, But it speaks volumes to uh, – I mean, you just mentioned it. That's not frequent that UCF has won double-digit conference game. So if they were to able to pull that off somehow, uh, here would be remarkable what Coach Dawkins has done. It's
0: within grasp. It's within grasp. You go three and one. So, uh, again, uh, their next game Saturday at East Carolina. That game's on ESPN News. Um, by the way, your game, the women's basketball game, is uh, American Digital Network – that is also against East Carolina, so be on the lookout for that. Big, wow. On, big week. Uh, Saturday, so yeah, big big Saturday of basketball for uh, UCF, both men's and women's. All right, we're going to take a quick break. Stick around. When we come back, we've got a lot to talk about. we got an interview with Greg Lovelady, the new uh, head baseball coach at UCF, uh, and we're also going to talk about the football schedule that's come out. And uh, softball getting underway too, as well as a couple other notes from.
1: That's right, uh, from that's the- right. You want to stick around? I want people to stick around. All right? We got the Love Lady interview, and I'm going to call out some of you fan people. UCF, USF, Thanksgiving weekend. I've got a proposal that I reason why I think the game should be moved, and I'll tell you why.
2: Oh boy, here we go.
1: Stick around. We're back <laughs> after this.
2: Hello, Night Nation. This is Andrew Fegley. This is Trey Strelka with the UCF Nightline Podcast, the original, the number one rated UCF sports podcast. You can follow us on Twitter and Facebook. On Twitter, it's UCF underscore Nightline and at www.ucfnightlinepodcast.com. Be sure to subscribe to us as well on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and YouTube. And when you get sick of listening to these guys, make sure you look us up. Don't forget, that's the UCF Nightline Podcast. Go Knights! Charge on. Now, back to the Black
0: and Gold Banneret Podcast. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon, Eric Lopez, with you. Time now for our interview segment. Last week we talked with Renee Loris Gillespie, the head softball coach, in advance of her season opener. And this week we've got uh, the baseball coach, new baseball coach Greg Lovelady, uh, with us here in the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. UCF baseball starts this weekend. Eric Lopez,
1: it's here, and I think some optimism. That I know you've didn't got to take t- long. <laughs> Yeah, yeah.
0: Here we are baseball season already for crying out
1: loud. Yeah, no question about it. And Greg Lovelady, new sheriff in town, is a really exciting moment here. I got a chance to talk to him. You've had a chance to talk to him as we're about to hear. And uh, very revealing guy, don't you think? I mean, a great play. He was a catcher, two-time national champion at Miami, coached at Wright State. Obviously, his mentor, Jim Morris, University of Miami head yep. coach, legendary yep. coach. And obviously, one of his closest friends is Mark Kingston, the USF head coach, which adds a little True. twist to that rivalry. So uh, I'm excited for him.
0: Quick background. He's he's originally from Miami, um, 38 years old. Uh, so he's pretty young. Uh, he comes to UCF after three years at Wright State in Cleveland, where they went in the Horizon League, first, second, and first went to the NCAA regional each of the last two years won forty three games each of the at the very least in those two years, including forty six last year they finished twenty three and six um, won the uh, won the Horizon League championship uh, prior to that he was an assistant for eight years at Wright State he was there for uh, he was there for a while under Rob Cooper, who eventually went on to Penn State uh, before he was an assistant at Wright state. Uh, From 05 to 13, Um, he was at Miami from 02 to 04, where he started his coaching career as an assistant under Jim Morris, like you said. And, of course, he was a player under Jim Morris as a catcher from 1998 to 2001, where, like you said, Eric, he he was instrumental in uh, helping the Canes win the College World Series in both 1999 and 2001. Did sign as an undrafted free agent with the Florida Marlins organization. He played one year with the Utica Blue Sox. Um, in the minors before he decided, you know, what, I'm going to go into coaching, and uh, uh, he's got the classic Florida baseball background. So, um, you know, assistant for a while, got that head coaching job at Wright State, did extremely well there. Improved 124 and 56 overall record at Wright State, including 69 and 18 in the in the Horizon League, and now he's leading UCF baseball uh, in his first season, starting this. Uh, Friday with a three game series against Siena. So, without further ado, here is. Uh, I, I actually talked to him in his office at the UCF Baseball Complex, uh, and here is our interview with UCF head baseball coach Greg Lovelady. And joining me now in his office, and the walls are bare around here because it's, it's still so new, but we're glad to have him on board. Uh, UCF's new head baseball coach, I know him as a guy who played down at University of Miami when I was growing up with some really amazing teams. He's got two national championship rings to show for it. Greg
2: Lovelady. Coach, how are you? Thank you for joining great. us. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate it.
0: We um, UCF baseball, as you know, it's, it's always been, I always felt like it's been like this secret great tradition in UCF sports. And when you got here, there's, I mean, obviously there's always, you know, a lot of excitement and anticipation over a new head coach, but. I always, I, I was like, "Hey, this is great because we have a guy who's coming in from Miami." You know, even though you were at Rice State in between, you know, you come from a winning tradition. When you got here, what's the one thing that you looked at and you said, "Okay, this is the thing I have to change now"?
2: Um, you know, I think the biggest thing for me was uh, nutritionally the way the kids were looking. Um, I really felt like. In order to be good, I think when you research the program and just kind of some of the things that they had done, um, like in terms of being real successful early on in the year and and when you looked at reports and of like the scouting reports that other teams that I got from friends that had played UCF, some of the things were written down was, you know, early on in the year the pitchers' velocities were really high and they started to tail off a little bit at the end. you know and that the record the, the last 20 games wasn't very good the record and things like that so um you know there, there's a bunch of different reasons to go into that but I think one of them is nutritionally um just preparing the body and and being able to make sure that you understand everything that you're putting into your body and understand that that's that's really really important and so you know a guy like Robbie Howell who was the number one pitcher last year whose velo fell during the course of the year still had a great year uh he's lost 35 pounds um and I think that that's going to help. His velo's been up a little bit, but I think it's going to hold for the entire season. Um, and so guys like that, Juan Pimentel, same thing. Bodies changed. Velo's way up. Um, Bryce Tucker, bodies changed. Velo's way up. Um, We haven't had a lot of like knick-knack injuries um, over the course of the fall and so forth. Cold hamstrings and stuff like that. Yeah, stuff like that. Just soreness, you know, like I think you get a lot of that where, hey, let me take a day off, like my hamstring's a little tight, let's back off. We just haven't had a lot of that, I think, because the guys have done such a great job of changing. But we had, I think it was like 18 players out of 35 that had over 20% body fat and down to four now. So uh, I think that just, again, it's a healthier lifestyle. I mean, it's good for them. But also I think it, and again, it as you get later in the game they lost a lot of one run games um, so when you talk about nutritionally if you're if you're eating the right way those 3 hour periods of exertion that you're doing over course of a game i need you to be at the top at the end of that 3 hour period so right. In the eighth and ninth inning when the game's on the line, like I need your bat speed to be there, I need your speed to be there, I need your velo to be there, I need those types of things to be there. So, uh, And then, of course, at the end of the weekend when it's been a long week, a Sunday game, your body needs to, do, to be ready. And then at the end of the season, your body needs to be in good shape. So a lot of that is nutritionally. So that was one of the big things that I think we changed right away that we just saw from physically looking at the kids and, and then doing the research and all that kind of stuff. So, And they've done a phenomenal job of it.
0: Is that is that how how much, is that easier or harder to do nowadays because – when you're talking about college kids it's like, you know, you are you're out of you're at a home and it's a smorgasbord after yeah. There, yeah, know? I think
2: it's actually easier. Back when I played there wasn't a lot of um a lot of a lot more rules and stuff that that pro- prohibited us from doing a lot of things. So the rules have been a little bit more where nutrition has become such a big part of, of college athletics I think. So it makes it a little bit easier that we can provide more snacks and we can provide meals sometimes and things like that where before it was like, you know, once a month we'd get a meal and that was it. Uh, and we get some protein powder or something like that where now we can provide a lot more of that stuff, uh, a lot more snacking. So making sure that they're not just eating Snickers bars and stuff like that where we're providing things for them to eat constantly every two hours and and to do those things. And then we just have to educate the kids on what, what they need to do pr- to prepare at night. And just, you know, hey, if you care and you want to do these things, like this is what you have to do.
0: Do you have a copy of that nutrition plan that I can actually <laughs> borrow because I need to work on that yeah, myself? <laughs> yeah, I know. I hear
2: you. I, that's not the first person that asked me that. <laughs> What's the one thing that you
0: said – when he came in, okay, this is good. This works. Let's keep it.
2: Yeah, I don't know. You know, I don't know. I'm not really sure how to answer that question. You know, I, I I've really evaluated everything. I mean, obviously, I kept Ryan Klosterman. So, I mean, I guess that's probably the biggest thing that was a big help for me was somebody that was here on the previous staff that, um, you know, I thought. I thought did a good job just from talking to people that I trust and talking to him and you know the things that I wanted to check off in that position once I you know I hired I kept Justin with me from my staff at right state mm-hmm. um and so that the job opening you know when I said okay this is what I want to look for from somebody he checked all those boxes so I mean he's probably the biggest thing that I kept the same that it's really been a huge help for me and and you know I, I, again I think is a valuable part of our program and going forward and i'm I really am happy with that hire so
0: the cupboard that you have here is not bare. You got a lot of seniors that are coming back, and with you as a first-year coach, is is it more of a challenge having a bunch of seniors, or does it help having that experience? I mean, I think
2: it, it's always going to be dependent on the situation. I think for me, though, that it's been awesome. I mean, I think that. Um I think when you come into a situation like I did, with the way things had been and and whatnot, and the way things ended, like you're you're assuming that it's going to be the worst, and that it's a four-year project, and you got to get all that kind of stuff in there. Um, and I, it didn't take me long to realize that, that we had some talent. Um, and and then you get to learn like how hungry these kids are. The, this senior group, they're not just hey, we're just riding it out for my senior year. I'm like they care and they want they want to do better. Like they they don't want to be looked back on, I think, as a group that couldn't accomplish things. And so um, they're very hungry and want to be great. And so um, that's been a lot of fun. Um, And I want to say it puts a little bit more pressure on me, but I definitely, um, like, I want to, I'm trying to teach them as much as I possibly can. So that's a little bit different because a normal, you know, as a head coach, there's things that you're teaching and, you know, you're introducing the new kids, but the older kids have been accustomed to what you're trying to teach. And so I think some coaches come into this and kind of like hey I'll try to throw some at them and I'll throw some more at them, you know, and over the course of 4 years we'll kind of get the things and the players and all that. And I've really tried to throw a lot at them because I really believe that this group can do great things and I and I think I feel like I owe it to these seniors because they've bought in, they care, they want to do great that I try to get them as good as we possibly can. And so I've really thrown a lot at them, which has been a challenge for me, a challenge probably for them to, to, to learn a lot of different things. Um, and we still got a lot, a lot of ways to go in terms of learning. But um, I'm not holding back because uh, I believe in this group and I think that they can do some things if they really if they really put their mind to it and, and buy into what we're doing.
0: You played your college ball under Jim Morris. You got two national championships, 99 and 01. And I went back, you know, in 01, you talked about strength, down the stretch, you guys won that year. You won your last seventeen games and went undefeated in the national in in the championship tournament. Yeah. And what did Jim impart to you as a player that you take into this job?
2: Um, you know, I just the way he uh, you know the way he managed games, uh, the way he managed a bullpen uh, were really two things that really stood out to me as a as a player. And then when I got to coach with him, um, it just stood out how he. Uh, built a bullpen trusted in his bullpen um, didn't abuse the starting pitchers uh, made sure that they were good at the end of the year and that they weren't falling off um, in terms of stuff wise Um, and just ability to make lineups and and really to kind of put the best guys out there that can give us the best chance to win Um, and then again the way we practiced I think um, just how we prepared uh, was a big thing for me and uh, that I've really kind of taken with me um, and really kind of run the same way. I mean, we practice kind of very similar to the way we did when I was back there. I run, I'm i a big bullpen believer because of it. Um, believe in making sure that our starting pitchers are, are better at the end of the year than they are at the beginning, and the only way you're going to do that is to have guys in, at the end of the game that you can get those starters out in the sixth, seventh inning and, and utilize those bullpen guys. So uh, those things definitely have stayed with me and been a big part of my coaching career like in terms of my philosophy.
0: After your playing career ended, you said that you went into finance for a little while?
2: Um, You know, I never went into the financial world because I signed pro contract, played with the Marlins, and then went right back to coaching. But, you know, I graduated like May 1st or May 2nd, and then the College World Series doesn't get over till June 20-something. So you had seven weeks of just baseball. Um, and at that period of time I wasn't sure if I was going to play professional baseball you don't know I wasn't a top prospect I wasn't I was, wasn't even starting every day at Miami so that wasn't something that I knew was going to be a for sure thing. Um, so here I am starting to plan for the rest of my to rest of my life and, and so I started interviewing at every major financial institution I mean anyone that you can name whether it was insurance, financial planning, all that kind of stuff like I met put a shirt a, a suit and tie on every morning went and met interviewed somewhere, then went to the ball field and, and practiced um, and so I did that probably again, probably fifteen times and just kind of getting a feel for the industry and all that and realized that putting a suit and tie on every day just wasn't something that I was going to be that I wanted to be a part of and then again, like I talk about like um, just the way my life was people had helped me out a lot and, and got me where i got me to where I was and I was really thankful for that and I got to live out a lot of dreams. And so I just didn't think the financial world would give me the platform to kind of do that um, to other kids. And so getting into coaching gave me the opportunity to do that. So that's kind of why I said, you know what, like, I'm not putting a suit and tie on. Like, I'm going to go coach. And so once I got done playing pro ball and the opportunity came to go back to Miami, I, I jumped on it.
0: You had an unbelievable record at Wright State. I mean, 124 and 56. In three seasons as a head coach, you were assistant under Rob Cooper before that. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you figure out there at Wright State as a coach that, and particularly as a head coach, that was a surprise? Like, you know, I mean, you, I know you coached under under Jim for a little while. You coached under Rob, and he's been and he's had his own success. But what was the part when you actually got into that head job at Wright State when you're like, I had no idea that about this part.
2: Ah, oh, well, I mean, I think as an assistant, you never really you're never really involved in all the behind the scenes stuff whether it's marketing whether it's budgets whether it's so from that standpoint that was the biggest thing uh, just was in charge of a lot of things where it was just recruiting and coaching for me as an assistant and all of a sudden you're starting to worry about you know like is the bathroom clean like in the lo- <laughs> you know in the, in the stadium and um, you know is the fan experience um, what it needs to be and all that kind of stuff so you definitely start to think a lot about that stuff more than you did as an assistant where you were just trying to win games and Keep your job, you know. What I mean, recruit good players and and, and help win games because that's that's what keeps your job. So, as a head coach, you start to care about a lot more things um, than just wins and losses and the players, like in terms of recruiting and stuff like that. So, um, that became a bigger uh, something that was definitely something you're not. I don't think you're ever really prepared for when you get when you get a head coaching job, um, just because you're not not used to dealing with all that stuff.
0: I heard you talk a lot about how um, you know this is you like to let the players be. Who they are, mm-hmm. and that it wasn't fun around here when when you first got here. Did did that require some like what sort of adjustment did it make? You know, especially in, I'm thinking back to fall ball in particular about how it went from a high intensity atmosphere to a little bit different. How much of an adjustment was that? Do you think
2: for the kids? Yeah. I mean a huge adjustment. I think you know again the first couple of weeks, me being in the office, like you know just the way that they acted around me. That you know I. I I always tell the story, like, I remember walking by the locker room, you know, going you know, outside or to the weight room or something, and I heard this, like, rumble coming out of the locker room, so I knew something was going on in there, and the kids are having a blast, and so I want to, I want to be a part of it, you know, so I open the door, I go in there, and it's like, they scurry, like, like, cockroaches, like, to their lockers. Oh, my like, God, Coach like, caught oh us. Oh, my gosh, coaches in here, like, we're in trouble, you know what I mean, kind right. of thing, um, and I sat down, and, and there were some, there was a couple of minutes of just silent awkwardness, like, the, the, the you know the way the room felt the energy was just weird and and all that and that's that's what I don't want like I don't want that type of atmosphere that culture so um you know they've had to learn they've had to learn that I'm that they you know that I'm going to make fun of them I expect them to make fun of me like um I want this to be an enjoyable experience for them so I mean it definitely took a little bit a little bit of time um but I've always tried to I've definitely been conscious of knowing what the culture was like and the way things were and the things that I say and how I act to try to show them, like, hey, this is this is what it needs. To, this is what I want it to be like. This is what it can be like. Um, and so I, I've been very conscious of that. And so whether sometimes I went a little bit farther or a little bit more than maybe I would normally act, just to kind of prove to them, like, hey, this is how this is how it can be, and this is how it, we, I want it to be or whatnot. So um, it was it was definitely in the back of my mind, a conscious thought every day, making sure that they understood, like. Um, that we can work really, really hard, but at the same time we can enjoy being around each other, have fun, and and, and enjoy this experience. Work hard and
0: play hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The um, w- looking at the future of UCF baseball, we have the new the renovation coming to the park, which I'm sure you've been you know part and parcel of. When you look at that, I mean, it, w- what what did you think when you got here and you saw the plans for that?
2: I'm mean, as excited. I mean, obviously John was in the in the um, you know in the midst of the. Uh, of the of the uh interview process and all that so i got a chance to interact with him and meet him and stuff and you know we've become really good friends um since here but uh it's just great to see somebody and and the administration understand how important you know facilities are and how important this program is this baseball program you know to the to the university or whatnot and but um it's definitely going to help us i mean definitely be a game changer i think we definitely are behind at times um Comparative to especially to our conference. So uh, it's good to have uh, those type of things, you know, improvements being being done at the end of the season. And um, definitely excited. Can't wait for the final product to be out there and be a chance, chance to play in front of, you know, and in, in that new, new park.
0: Last question for you. You know, I covered, um, I started my career in um, Georgia. And we covered the year that um, UGA went to the College World Series and lost in three to Fresno State. And my thought after that, after seeing that, and then looking at UCF now, that you know, because you know, I'm in, this is my alma mater, and, and I've covered UCF baseball before, and it's and it's fun to be back here. Was my, my always my thought was, if Fresno State could have done it that year, there's nothing that says UCF can't get to that point. And I know that it, that all of a sudden you get into like the expectations game, but in the abstract, right? What is the College World Series potential of a program like this one?
2: I mean, I definitely think it's a possibility. I mean, I wouldn't be here if it wasn't. Um, You know, I I had a really good job at Wright State. Um, You know, my wife is from there. My kids were, you know, getting integrated. I got a lot of friends that I've made for for 12 years. Um, Loved the athletic department. Loved everything about Wright State. Um, And, I mean, good. We went to two regional finals, um, which means you're you're a win away from going to the super regionals. Right. And once you get to a Super Regional, that's almost the easier part. Getting out of a Regional is really, really tough. Four teams playing, you know, a bunch of games in three days or four days, like, um, that the schedule's
0: that can, crazy. And that can and be
2: really challenging. It's a lot different than normal. Um, get to a Super Regional, best two out of three, like, um, anyone can win that. I mean, we've seen, and, and then you've seen, you've seen teams go to the College World Series, like Tulane, Stony Brook, uh, Louisiana Lafayette, Fresno State. Uh, you've seen non-traditional baseball powerhouses go to the College World Series almost every single year. Pepperdine, um, Fullerton, yeah, Square. like State, that. Yeah, State, like, I mean, um, and so I felt like that it was really really difficult to take that next step at Wright State Um, but I felt like we were close you know but I also felt like again when I looked at it there was three or four jobs that I said you know if that job comes open and they're interested I'd be interested Um, because I felt like um, it had more to offer and you know whether it was weather or recruiting base or the name name of the school and what it brings into a home or to a kid's a kid's mind when you bring up the university like that would give me more opportunities to go to the college world series so um i wouldn't leave in unless i felt like it was a school that i could go to the college world series at and compete for a national championship so um with this state with the talent with the weather with the facilities i think with danny white's vision of the athletic department um and then the things that i feel like as a staff that we can bring to the table like there's no doubt in my mind. I mean, East Carolina was 90 feet away from going to the, going to the World Series last year, and they're in our conference. Um, and I know that over the, you know, the last two years, East Carolina's been really good, and UCF beat them at some point. So yeah. there, there is that there, that just should show you that, yes, this conference and, and, this, and this university, no doubt in my mind, has the ability to go to the College World Series. When that is, who knows? Um, and I don't worry about that. But um, I wouldn't be here if I didn't feel like that was, that was a, a legit possibility.
0: You're here, here. Head Coach Greg Lovelady. Thank you. Thanks,
2: guys. I appreciate it.
0: All right. Thanks to Coach uh, Lovelady. Thanks also to uh, Bill Morrison for uh, helping us out, sending up the interview there on Media Day. And um should be a fun season, uh, if anything. that we. By the way, quick thing for you, Eric, on this. I, I have this theory, and – well, actually, I don't have this theory. I stole it from someone else. That, you know, <laughs> will you – that when you make a new head coaching hire in yeah. in college in particular you always go like 180 degrees in some way from the previous guy
1: or sure. gal, right right yeah. yeah you go the opposite if the guy was a you know a players type coach if he was too easy on the players you go with a complete
0: the opposite disciplinarian of that. type okay so yeah right. exactly right. so in the case of Greg Lovelady and you, i think you heard it in the interview this guy is a 180 from his predecessor Terry Rooney in the respect that he, he he wants the players to be relaxed to to play loose um, and he is and, and he was totally a very much a loose guy and i don't mean that in, obviously i don't mean that in a, ba- in, in a bad way at all i mean he's you could tell that he wants the, his players to be relaxed and ready to play and not so uptight because that's where because in his, it, it, you know for according to him that's how bad things happen And uh, and and I was and it was really a welcome change, I thought, you know, just sitting there in his office and talking with him.
1: Right. Well, not only he said that in the interview, I think the players on media day, they had their media day this week, even referred to that, that much more relaxed. You're not playing with pressure. And I like Terry. So I I don't want to, you know, you know, I knew Terry for a while. You knew Terry for a while. Uh, uh,
0: Tremendous respect for Coach Rooney and 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 did some and did some really good things at UCF. But sometimes it just it. Sometimes that will just grate
1: on guys. He was very intense. I mean, you and I have traveled with him on the – it's intense. I almost felt like he had a football coach mentality, uh, a football approach to it, which was very – I know people question that kind of thing when you're in baseball, and it's a daily grind. And, you know, the pressure of, you know, trying to make every play and, you know, maybe. Uh so there were certain things that were questioned and I think love lady obviously being a player has been coaching everywhere. Yeah, you got to play loose. It's every day. It's a grind. Uh it's it's a marathon, not a sprint. And you know, I think it, that's going to be very interesting. I mean, he, you know, I've talked to him, you've talked to him. I mean, you know, talked about also the conditioning. Robbie Howell is in the best shape of his career, uh throwing harder and I do think this, there's a chance that some of these guys are going to perform better under those circumstances. Just a different voice because uh of a different approach like you mentioned so uh it's going to be very interesting with him he won at right state which you know let's be honest it's no all due respect to right state it's not a you know uh, it's not the top of the baseball capital of the world um with all his ties in florida and he's a guy that will talk baseball with you too i think he lives and breathes this game didn't you get that sense when you talk to him that he just lives for this and I, breathes baseball. Yeah, I, I
0: felt like I felt like an old time baseball writer, kind of sitting in his office like for for yeah. a while. Because we talked for a little bit after the interview and just talking baseball. And sure. and he will sure. and, and I love the fact that he'll just he'll just talk talk shop with anybody who's there. And yeah. and I and it was it was very it was very comforting. I mean, I felt like I felt like we could have t- gone on for like another hour almost the way that the way that we were talking about the game. Sure. Obviously, he had you know media day that that day and he had to go, but. Um, but it, that was that was a lot of fun. That was one of the most fun interviews I think I've I think I probably ever done. Just you know, kind of getting involved and understanding what makes his philosophy what what makes him tick as a coach.
1: And I don't know you you're a big baseball guy. Something about catchers, former catchers that go into yep. management. There's something about it. Maybe it's the fact that catchers, obviously, when you're playing as a catcher, you're thinking the game at the same time like the coaches are because you're, you know, you're helping calling pitches. The and, catcher, you know, yeah, the catcher is, the,
0: is the interface between the coaching staff yeah. and the rest of the players, and, uh, especially when it comes to on the field and defense. And yeah. that's why you see guys like you know, Joe Girardi, right, is yes. a longtime former catcher.
1: Mike um, Socha has had a lot Mike of success. Socia, yeah, right, won, you know, won a World Series. Yeah, yeah. Uh, um, you mentioned Girardi is, a, is right at the top. Uh, Bob Brenly, who Bob won a Brindley, World Series right. with the Diamondbacks, was a former catcher as well. Um, so, and you mentioned him about in the interview about playing loose. You know who's a manager right now in Major League Baseball that has a similar philosophy?
0: I was, I Joe I Madden. Joe Madden. Yeah.
1: Yeah, how's he doing? <laughs> You know? Not too bad. <laughs> He's done pretty bad. Yeah, so there is something to be said for that. And I, you know, look, I'm up. It's interesting, right? Because at the end of last year, the team haven't, you know, the program has been in a slide. I mean, the reason this, they haven't made the NCAA tournament to 2012. And I've always said this, Jeff, on record about the Terry Rooney era, the defining moment was that regional in Coral Gables, where they were one win away in the super regionals from a, a advancing to the super regionals for the first time in school history and faced. Facing LSU, all they had to do was win one game against Stony Brook. And I remember they started – I think they started Eric Scoglin, who was a freshman at the time, for that first game. And then they started Brian Atkins. And they got you know, out-hit. Like, Stony Brook out-hit them. They lost those two games in Miami. That was a, a regional where the Hurricanes went 0-2. So the door was there, and they lost it. And I don't think they ever recovered from that. And I always i yeah. am a big believer in that in sports. You know, we, we just went through this – conversation with the Super Bowl, right? How are the Atlanta Falcons, will they ever be the same after blowing a 28-3 to lead? I don't think Rooney and that baseball program ever recovered from that regional from that point on. They never made another NCAA tournament. I don't think the recruiting was at the level that it was when Rooney first arrived there with his sidekick cliff godwin and and let's not lose fact that when godwin left see that after to 20, me that, that hurt
0: that was the that was the one that hurt because mm-hmm. look at what cliff has done at east carolina
1: at, at Ole Miss. he was he went there he went to Ole Miss first as an assistant coach helped them get to the world series and then he got the east carolina job which is his alma mater and you mentioned got them to a super regional as a head coach
0: yeah last year <laughs> and, yeah. and um that one I thought was the one that 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 hurt the most. And there's no
1: question that the recruiting on the Rooney dipped. Yeah, and that's why they got into they missed the NCAA tournament in four years. And let's be honest, you missed the NCAA tournament in baseball in four years in the state of Florida. That's I mean that's hard to justify, right? I mean that's what got a lot of people kind of up in arms, and I think turned on Coach Rooney. And, you know, he obviously I think he kind of saw the writing on the wall. And then he saw obviously a pitching coach opportunity at Alabama, which pays very good. Mm-hmm. So that's where he is now. He's uh, there but there now he First got, year staff too at Alabama, too. So correct. Correct. So now you've got, you know, now back to the president. Now you got you've got lovely. He's got to deal with most of these players. So the question is, we're going to find out is the talent on this team. Is it good enough? Was it better than the record showed? Or is there, you know some issues from a talent standpoint, and then what can he maximize from this team? And you talk to him and you get the sense. It's not like he's bailing on these players. I think he believes in these players. I think he's excited about the pitching staff he's got. He's excited about Robbie Howell and the shape he's in. Juan Pimentel, he's mentioned, among others. And, you know, can he get more offense production from other guys? Um, You know, and he mentioned some of the guys that he's excited about. You know, maybe they maximize, and that's been the trend we've seen, right? We've seen that with uh, with the two basketball coaches, and and then they've maximized there. Maybe to some extent Scott Frost on the defensive side, they maximize some things there. Um, So maybe they can maximize their, you know, a little bit. And, you know, the beauty of this state is you're going to have opportunities to get quality wins. I mean, you're going to play Florida State comes down here to play in Orlando. you got a home-and-home with Florida in the midweek. Uh, You know, so you've got some nice competition midweek. You know, conference-wise, always an interesting league. You've covered the baseball tournament in the American Conference, so mm-hmm. you've got a pretty good idea. It, there's not a big separation from the top to even the bottom. I mean, you were there last year in Clearwater, where Memphis, which was a team that was middle-bottom of the league, made a deep run into the postseason. Yeah. So the separation is not that big.
0: That's the nature of the game. Is that if you get, and I think we talked about this one. You know, when I asked him about, you know. Potential for a program like UCF to reach like the College World Series. It comes down to just if you get hot at the right time, the sky's the limit. And uh, and if you get hot at the right time for you, you know, in terms of UCF baseball in the American Conference tournament, if you get in there, just like you know Memphis did, they pushed they pushed UConn to the wall on that side yeah. of the bracket. Things can get crazy in it if you get if you get really good on a weekend. The other thing that I like uh, that is playing in his favor and 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 you know, we also mentioned this, you know, he's got twelve seniors on this roster. Wow. Yeah. That's a lot that that's the cupboard is not bare for uh for that. You know, and so if it, you know if those guys have bought in, as he said, you know, there's yeah. I think there's pretty good potential to see some really good success this year. So um so best of luck to Coach Lovelady game number one for the Knights against Siena. Three games set uh coming up this weekend, seventeenth through the nineteenth, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Uh, against Siena.
1: My prediction will be I think this team will have a winning season. I don't know if they're a po- an NCAA tournament team. am I going to go that far yet. But I would not be surprised if this team has at least a winning season and uh, maybe over a Chiefs.
0: I'm with you on that one. I'm with you on that one. I, you know, he mentioned, you know, in the interview, he's like, I'm, you know, I'm not, it, it's, it, it's, he, he's, uh, he's very, um, he's not the kind of guy who's going to say, you know, we're going to, you know, if we don't win 40 games, it's the seasons of failure. He's going to right. talk about each game that's in front of him. Yes. And, and that's like, and I actually like that approach because it's like, you know, look, don't worry about, um, everything, it, everything else that you can't control. Just worry about what the thing that's in front of you one step at a time and you'll be fine. So, um, I, I, I really do enjoy his philosophy. I'm, I'm hoping that he has the kind of success that, um, that that we were hoping that we would get um, under Rooney when things when things went south, you know. Obviously, after Godwin left and and after that region, like you talked about, I think that Greg, you know, he comes from that winning tradition down at Miami, and I think that's going to translate very well to UCF baseball. So now on the other uh, on the other diamond, softball, Eric Lopez. The season is yes, underway. <laughs> yep, yeah. and uh, he got off to a start two and three start in the home tournament. Um, defeated Florida A&M twice, but lost the games to Pittsburgh uh, and Kentucky. Uh, I was there for four of them. You were there for all five. Um, yep. The Knights right now at two and three heading uh, heading into the Mary Nutter Classic uh, out in California this weekend, which is a very difficult tournament. Uh, give us an update on softball. Where are we at right now? Are you where we thought we would be? Um, and you know, and, and what's the status heading into this Mary
1: heading into the Mary Nutter tournament? You know, it's funny because, I mean, a lot of people obviously ask me. They know I broadcast the game, so everybody asks me. I mean, I was at the Magic Spurs game, and people are coming up to me. And, like, what do, what, what do you – and the word I keep coming up to them is youth. There's are young. Yeah, they, they young, looked young, very young. in the, some of those games. Young and youth. That's the word I keep telling people. And I think you saw a little bit of that this weekend. A lot of youth. I mean, they have seven true freshmen on the roster. They have 17 total players, 7 are true freshmen. 6 of the 7 actually played this weekend, all right? Uh and that's not counting, for example, Tamisha Glover who redshirted all of last year and is a redshirt freshman and got her first start as a night first action in Division 1 right. this past weekend, for example. So, uh think about that for a second and then we're not even talking about players uh, on the roster, that just got their first starts. Period. They were on even on the team last
0: year. So, right. or got their first a, action. You know, like t- like t- you know, for example, like Tiffany Lauer, for example, is a sophomore. Yeah, she got started
1: the game. Yeah, she yeah. she
0: got playing time this weekend. And yep. uh, uh, of course, the, the the pitchers in particular. We talked to you know Cameron Tony got a lot of run out there, and she's a freshman from yes. Georgia. Uh, yes, and you could tell that they're you know you, you throw out the freshman pitchers out there. Um, you know, yeah, and a lot of them got off to a pretty good start, but then you know they they as things got as the game as the game progressed, and they got into the middle later innings. Things kind of unraveled a little bit, which you almost expected. A point.
1: The pitching staff you mentioned coming into the season, sixty six innings of experience, all by Monemi Colexto, who's the transferred senior. Yep. pitched last year. She was the number three on the the, the rotation last year. Uh, the rest of are all freshmen. And Aaliyah White got started three of the games. Freshman out of Tampa. Looked Cambridge. really good at times. It did. And actually, it's funny, Jeff. Her best game, the thing that's encouraging to me is her best game was the most recent one, which is the Sunday game against Pittsburgh, and really didn't get any benefit of the doubt. If you look at the Spock score, you're like, wow, what are you talking about? It was a 6-3 game. In the first inning, she had two errors against at her defense, two errors mm-hmm. against her. Otherwise, she would have been unscathed there. No runs. She was dominant the rest of the way. And then in the eighth inning, they go with the international role, which they put the runner at second base to start the inning nobody, and nobody out and all that. And she got almost got out of that jam. It was a bases loaded, two outs. She got it to that point, still the game being tied at 2-2. And it was and, and she was down in the count three and one. She pitched a changeup for a strike. It was three and two. She throws the same changeup in the same spot on three and two, and the umpire calls it a ball. What I mean, the players were both sides were getting ready to head to the dugout, and the umpire said, "No, it's a ball." And a run scores walked in the run. Yeah, right. walked in the run to make it three two. The next hitter hits a, a ball deep in the right center that clears the bases, and they win the you know they go with six two, and then UCF loses six to three. So it was frustrating from that standpoint. But she has the best stuff in the rotation. She has a great changeup. She's got a riser. She's got a screwball. She's learning, though. She's a true freshman. And I thought, as I said on the air, no matter what happened this weekend, all this is positive because you're getting valuable experience and you're against good teams. Yeah. Kentucky's a top 25 team. Pittsburgh, I thought, was very good. This was a team that made the NCAA tournament two years ago, just missed the tournament last year. I think they're better than last year. I think Pittsburgh could go back to the tournament. And FAMU is a team that's the reigning MIAC champions. Three times they've been straight to the NCAA tournament. They have a pitcher who's a senior who has given UCF fits over the years with veteran players. Forget this team. So to me, two and three, is, you know, it's up and down. You obviously would have, you know, they could have easily won that Pittsburgh game on Sunday. And they had opportunities. They brought the winning run against Kentucky. You um, talked about
0: Aaliyah, like, by the way, that box score. In eight innings, yeah. she, gave up, she gave up just five hits and struck out
1: seven. And that's the encouraging thing is that how it was her best game? And remember, she had five shutout innings going in in the Pittsburgh game and then things kind of unraveled. She's got to build that endurance. It's different pitching in division one softball than it is in high school ball and even travel ball. And, and, and it takes a while to adjust to that. And I thought she did. And I think she's getting confidence in herself that she could pitch at that level. And so I'm encouraged about the future for her. And and you mentioned Cameron Tony and I'm glad you did that fan you gave. I was so impressed by – she was not phased by anything. You, you were there. There was no, like, facial expression, nothing. She nothing was just Nothing bothered locked her, in. man. She was locked in. No. And I know that the staff is working with her on trying to get an out pitch, and I think if they can get that, I think she could be a big contribution as the year goes on and get them some important outs uh, to go. And then all of a sudden you could build the staff. So I felt very encouraged about that. Offensively, as I mentioned, very young. And you've got Courtney Roden and you've got Cassidy Brewer, your top two hitters. And then the question's going to be, Jeff, who are the new faces is going to contribute offensively. You know, Autumn Gillespie's coming back. You know, she played a month last year and got hurt. Uh, you know, can she contribute offensively? She's a great weapon defensively with the, her arm, as you saw this weekend. Mm-hmm. Tamisha Glover's a new kid. Uh, you know, you've got Aubrey Johnson, the second baseman, a new kid. you got Jasmine Esparta, who they played a little bit this weekend, freshman. Uh, the, the right fielder, Karski, freshman. So, who of those that group can step up and contribute offensively is going to be the interesting deal. You got Corey Hill, new assistant at Texas. And I kind of compare it to. What you Scott Frost brought to the u c f offense where he had his philosophy right with the spread and 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 you have a bunch of players that are used to playing a pro set offense, so there's an adjustment period there uh some pieces maybe don't fit, but you're trying to maximize the most. I feel her similar offensively in softball. these are not Corey Hill's recruits; she has a philosophy offensively with certain situations like for that I'm you know and I won't go into too deep of detail that these players are not used to. And so that's the adjustment that you're seeing right now. They'll get it. It'll come. But it's going to take some time, Jeff. And until then, there will be, I think, some lumps and, and some bumps on the road, as you would expect with a young team. Because as you mentioned, they're going to California, the tournament at Mary Nutter. They're going to play Cal Poly. Now, the casual family say, well, who's Cal Poly? Cal Poly has one of the best pitchers in the country in Sierra Highland, who threw two no-hitters. In the opening weekend of the year, so that right. will if they have to face Highland, they're a traditionally uh, that's be a
0: very good program in college softball yeah. too, Cal. Poly. Correct. Not Correct. to mention the that's other three teams they got to play out there: UCLA, of course, Cal. Yeah, I've and, heard of, I've Heard of them? Yeah, they're pretty <laughs> good. Uh, Cal, who also is known to be good on occasion, and Loyola Marymount as well. So, yep. you're you're and, testing yep. yourself against that West Coast talent this week.
1: Sure. So, I don't want people to re- overreact and, and, and panic. You know, this is a tough ten game road trip. You mentioned they're going to play four games in California. Then they're going to go to Tuscaloosa to play Alabama twice. You're going to play Texas Tech. You're playing Gardner-Webb twice. Then they play Florida Gulf Coast before they come home March 3rd. So uh, my point is there's going to be some bumps in the road. Don't panic. Um, It's early. It's a marathon. And when I mean marathon, in softball, it's really a marathon. I mean, keep in mind, last year UCF went 0-5 in California and, and struggled early, and they turned it on and got to the NCAA tournament. Uh, I've seen that before in 20, uh, 2012. They lost a nine-game losing streak at one point, losing in Cal at San Diego, five games, lost at Florida State next training, and they were able to recover, win 30 some games, made the NCAA tournament. So my point is, it's a marathon. Right now, I just, my I, my 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 recommendation is just be patient with this team. And as I've told people, I think this team will be a completely different team and a better team in, in April than they are currently in February.
0: Thousand points a light. Let's stay the course. Exactly. (laughs) I hope someone someone (laughs) gets that. Dana Carvey in SNL doing George Bush, man.
1: That was a terrible – and I'm the biggest Dana Carvey mark. (laughs) And that was an awful Dana Carvey. Like, if Dana Carvey listened to this podcast right now, he would be like, are you kidding me? I'm not going to do it that way. (laughs) Not going to – There you go. That's a lot better.
0: All right. Speaking of – well, here's what what we are going to do. We're going to talk next about the UCF Knights football schedule. Uh, which came out as we uh, this week. It's okay. So we were a little bit worried about how the first four games would work out because there was a there was a gap in September, and so they they figured okay. So they figured this out. We knew that the opener is going to be against FIU at home against Bush Davis's FIU Panthers, mind you. Um, the conference opener is the next week, Saturday, September the ninth. Memphis comes to town, so they were able to finagle that sort of quirk in the schedule, and you're just going to have an early conference game. Uh, the way the rest of the schedule looks like this, th- the f- three of the first four are at home, including the Georgia Tech game, Saturday, September the 16th. We're going to get that triple option look, which is going to be great to look at you know, before we play Navy. Uh, and then uh, at Maryland for the first road game of the year, that's on September 23rd. So the Knights start the season off with three games at home before they go to Maryland, Come back to play Maine September 30th in the only game against, a, um, against a, uh, a Division I FCS team on the slate. So that Maine game got moved down to September the 30th. Um, conference schedule looks like this. Of course, I mentioned the Memphis game Saturday, September 9th. Uh, we have uh, Saturday games uh, at Cincinnati, home for East Carolina. That's the homecoming game, October 14th, and then at Navy October 21st. Um, that's going to be a tough trip to Annapolis, but fortunately, we played Georgia Tech a few games, you know, five games before that, so we'll have at least one look at a triple option attack before that. By week is Saturday, October 28th, so Halloween, basically the weekend before Halloween. Then they finish up with four uh, finish up with four games uh, in conference uh, in the month of November. Saturday, November 4th at SMU, that won't be easy. Home for UConn, November the 11th, that's Veterans Day. Uh, at Temple on November the 18th, that's a Saturday. Uh, it'll be cold up there for that game. And then home Black Friday, USF, um, we're we're moving that game back to Black Friday again to finish out the regular season. American Athletic Conference Championship on December the 2nd. So there's your look at the, uh, at the, uh, UCF football schedule. Now, Lopez, you said that you are not a fan (laughs) of that, of that, of the Black Friday game. Um, I'm not now. And you're te- and you have some harebrained
2: proposals.
1: I you do tell me. Oh, great. So yeah. Like uh, after I br- I give you this idea, people are going to be like, wow, that is a genius move. Let's do it right now. But I want to get like, a couple quick thoughts about the okay. schedule before I get into that. We'll get into USF. I think it's a good schedule from the standpoint. They only have one back to back road games. Uh, which is the Navy and the SMU game? There's a bye week in between. Hey, split so I don't between even really a bye week. That. Yeah, the, the, I thought that the schedule would work
0: out more favorably for UCF this year than it did last year, and lo and yeah. behold, I was right
1: because yeah. you're right. No, the back to back road games are split with a bye week. That's a huge win for UCF. Huge. Because I was wondering, like you did, like I was wondering, you know, lot, you know, this past season it was very back loaded. The UCF home games front loaded road. Yeah. I was wondering, oh, they're going to do the opposite. It's going to be front-loaded home and back-loaded a lot on the road. But it wasn't. They actually mixed it up a little bit and mentioned the only back-to-back road games is between that bye week. Right. So I think from an on-the-field standpoint, I think that's good. The tough part at Temple prior to that USF game, that's a yep. late November game in Philadelphia. I don't expect I don't expect fun weather in Philadelphia in November 18th. Do you? Uh, nope, I think it'll it's going to be, be, be cold.
0: cold and windy and probably rainy, too.
1: So that's a tough two games, and then you got the short week for the USF, which is one of the other reasons I don't like that Black Friday. But whatever, we'll get into that. Um, it's a so short a week for stretch. them, too. I don't want to hear it. Yeah, well, yeah. where's USF that week at? Do tell me where they're at. Yeah, we'll see out. who – yeah, go find that out. But overall, I thought it's a good schedule from that standpoint. Now, uh, the Memphis game on to conference September 9th, that's very interesting.
0: By the way, they they'd be or, coming off a uh, road game at SMU. Oh, wait, no, I'm sorry. That's wrong. Uh, go go ahead with your thought.
1: Well, my thought is the interesting thing about the Memphis game, September 9th, it is a early conference game, week two of the season. And you know this having worked at UCL when George O'Leary is that George O'Leary was against that. George O'Leary was a believer of get your non-conference games in first. Play your three or four non-conference games, depending on what league you're in. Play your non-conference games first, then get into conference play. To get a conference game that early. He was never a fan of that. And I have mixed opinions about that. I, I would prefer to just get the non-conference games first to get you ready for conference. Uh That's how most sports do it. But obviously television plays a role in all that stuff. And, you know, it's interesting Uh from a fan standpoint, with all those home games in September, does that run the risk of people maybe skipping a game or two in September? The one thing, I, I and this is unfortunate, there's nobody's fault about this, the Georgia Tech game which is September 16th, you realize, Jeff, in September, that day in this state, that is the same day that Tennessee will be at Florida, big SEC mm-hmm. East showdown, and Miami is at Florida State. The oh ACC boy. decided to have those two teams open ACC play that weekend. So you talk about from a, a state standpoint, it is a remarkable day, and unfortunately – and I said this on the radio, that's a bad break for UCF because, obviously, Georgia Tech, that's the marquee game. I think everybody assumes that game is going to be a packed house and a sellout. I'm not so sure about that right now. Depends on I'm what
0: a, time they kick it off, I feel like. like, well, Does that my, game feel like a noon kick to me?
1: Well, here's the thing. That's an, It could. It could be a noon game, which doesn't help. The other aspect of this. Because the ACC, what they did, they had the Miami Florida State game and they have Louisville at Clemson that day, which oh, is yeah. crazy. Or, I mean, I'm sorry, Clemson's at Louisville. Uh, so that's gonna be a big game. My point is, uh, the ACC is gonna dominate the ESPN platforms. Like one, if not both of those games will be prime time games. Uh, The Florida-Tennessee game, I mean, I haven't looked at the entire schedule that day, but I would guess CBS loves that game. That's either either
0: CBS or or SEC Network, no
1: doubt. Or a night game on ESPN or ESPN2. I mean, they they can do that. So my point is that the options from a channel standpoint won't be great for that UCF-Georgia Tech game. I wouldn't be surprised if UCF-Georgia Tech does end up still being a night game, but maybe the CBS Sports Network game that night. And here's a nightmare scenario. UCF Georgia Tech at night, going up head to head against Miami Florida State oh, because boy. you're not going to get you're not going to get casual fans to go to the UCF Georgia Tech game. Plus, I think you lose a percentage of fans. They're going to say, you know what? Instead of going to the UCF game, I'm just going to watch the, I'm going to stay home, watch the UCF game and flip back and forth between that and the Florida State Miami game. Cause I believe that the Florida State Miami game, Florida Florida State are games that transcend just diehard fans. That's a game that the entire area in the state. I've written about this in, in many different publications in the past. Miami and Florida State and Florida Florida State are big television draws in central Florida. Okay. So, and in my opinion, that hurts UCF because you have, you lose that casual fan. It's like, Oh, I'm going to go see Georgia Tech. Now you're going to lose some of them because some of these people are going to make trips to go to Gainesville either to watch the Florida game in person, or they're going to go to Tallahassee for the Miami FSU game, or they're going to stay home or go to a bar to watch all of it. Because it's an incredible day and that's what makes this state fantastic from a college football standpoint, but that's part of the battles that UCF has to battle with. Um so that's my concern about the September sixteenth. I wanted to point that in your thoughts on that.
0: A note about it. now the South Car- remember the South Carolina game in the Fiesta Bowl year? Yeah, twenty
1: thirteen. Yep. That
0: that game was a noon kick. You remember that? Yep. Okay. Yeah, I was there. Noon noon ABC. kick on ABC. So yep. I would like I wouldn't be surprised to see or at least I would hope UCF and Georgia Tech would push to basically put this game the Georgia Tech game in the same schedule slot a noon game we'll on the we'll network see. so
1: we'll see my concern is they might do like for example I could see them doing Clemson at Louisville at noon on ABC FSU Miami at night and move UCF Georgia Tech around I agree with put you put that Clemson be, at 3:30 you could do that I could do that. The problem is though, Jeff. Then you're going to hear from fans that they don't like the noon kickoff, right? That's the complaint. You can't please everybody, so um, that's going to be very interesting to me uh, on that standpoint. What about, my, you know, your thoughts on the Memphis game being so early? Are you four against the conference game that opener being that early?
0: I'm okay with it because you can, you know, if we have the game at home and you're coming off the, you're coming off the game against FIU. If you win that opener against FIU, you're in good shape heading into that first conference game. And you want the players to be ready for a conference, uh, for, for a, a, a game that has that intensity level of a conference game. Um, and if they win that one, then you're going to have some pretty high confidence heading into the Georgia Tech game. Um, my concern um, in the schedule is the at Cincinnati following the main game. Because, you know, you're playing Maine. you know, Saturday, September 30th. Then you got to go at. Then you got to go back on the road to play Cincinnati. The road conference games, by the way, this year at Cincinnati. Um, I know they were they weren't that good this year, but that's not going to be easy.
1: New head coach Luke Feckle. Yeah. right?
0: Uh, at Navy, that's going to be a really tough game.
1: Um, at SMU, oh, I like your point though. You made a good point though. The good news there, you would have played Georgia Tech a month right. earlier, and which runs a similar. A Paul Johnson, the head coach of Georgia offense. Tech, so that's. It's, a lot of teams don't have that luxury. Uh, UCF does, so that's the good news. Is I like the fact you're playing Georgia Tech first, and then you have a, you know, you're going to have that tape and that experience from playing Georgia Tech, which, quite honest, with all due respect to Navy, I, I don't think they would argue. Georgia Tech has better athletes than Navy, yeah. so you you'll have some tape and some experience playing that type of offense a month later. I think that's a good thing. And and, and playing a triple option team, it's like playing a different sport. When
0: you're on defense, Correct. that's, that's yep. the hard part about that. Johnson, by the way, before he coached at Georgia tech was the coach at Navy. So, yep. Yep. um, and then you're, and then of course at temple, so some tough road games, but you got some good home games coming back. You got East Carolina at home, uh, obviously Memphis at home, UConn at home, USF at home. So I think the the, the conference schedule worked out in UCF's favor. now about this, uh, about this black Friday situation, by the way, USF, um, prior to the UCF game plays Saturday uh, six days earlier at home against Tulsa.
1: Oh, look at that. So USF has a home game six days earlier. So basically then they could just bus it to Orlando, whereas UCF has to go to Philadelphia, play in a cold weather game at Temple and then fly back and get, you know, they you know lose basically a day in travel. Uh, getting ready for USF. So I don't like that from that start. I mean, I actually was hoping if they're going to do that, you should have had USF and UCF both play on the road, but they don't do that in football because they don't usually have back-to-back road games to end the year, and that's probably USF's last home game. Right. So that's all that stuff. Okay. Let's get into this whole Thanksgiving weekend because that's a hot topic. It's been a hot topic. I brought this up last Saturday on the show, and people on the message boards uh, got all upset about it and took my words out of context and everything. Because that's what
0: message boards do.
1: Uh, absolutely. And and I always feel like when people listen to radio, they are kind of have selective hearing, too. So they want to hear what they want to hear. First of all, I mean, television controls a lot of this stuff. So I, I don't think this is necessarily a one school, other school issues and all that. So I get all that. My issue with the Thanksgiving weekend, I have been a proponent for years since they have renewed this game, that this game should not be on Thanksgiving weekend. I think this game should be earlier in the year, in October, uh, you know, maybe even a conference opener, if you want to do that, kind of like Florida, Tennessee does in the SEC. I don't think that's hurt that rivalry. Um, because a few things. Number one, the students are non-factors on Thanksgiving weekend. Students now leave town to go home. And I don't blame them. I would go home, too, because a lot of these students have final exams when they come back. So the last thing they want to do is hang around and then worry about final They want to just get away for a little bit, get ready, refocus, whatever. So the students are non-factors in these games. I think that hurts this rivalry. You have to build your fan base, those young people, to this game. This is your marquee game. So you're eliminating young uh, students out of this game. Number two, you're eliminating... A lot of people that have families. You have a family. Thanksgiving is a very important family weekend, and it's not as simple as for people to say, hey, honey, I'm going to leave you guys. I'm going to UCF-USF. It doesn't work that way, and I think you've seen that in the attendance drops, not to mention you don't know when this game is played. Here's the other issue. We're playing tennis with this game now. They started this first game. of The, the first time they played was on a Black Friday night. Then it was a Black Friday at noon. Then they moved it to Thanksgiving. We saw how well that went. And then last year they moved it to Saturday. Now it's Black Friday. When is What's the future? Are we going to just play you know, tennis with this, go volley back and forth on this game? People plan this stuff ahead. And with television in control, we may not even know what time this game will kick off until a week or two before that game is played, which is a very short-term period for a lot of people that have families, that make trips – to make plans to even go to this game. So what happens is a lot of people are like, eh, rather than agitate the wife or agitate the kids, we're just going to watch the game at home and have a good turkey and, and stuff like that. So I think you eliminate percentages of people that would normally go to that game, especially when you have these two programs that we don't know. That they're not perennial top 10 teams. They're not perennial top 20 teams right now. So you don't know what type of game it's going to be. Maybe you hope that both teams are good going to that game, but so far history has shown that one of them is usually good, the other one is not very good, and as a result, the fan base that has the team that's not very good doesn't show up, or in USF's case, they just don't show up, period. Um, So to me, I would move this game to October, move it early in the year, where you have the students are in the picture. You also have no holiday commitments and concerns with families. You also have a – you're away from the Florida-Florida State game. As long as you play on Thanksgiving weekend, you're always going to be an afterthought in the state to that Florida-Florida State game. Move yourself to October. Try to give yourself your own date, your own personality, your own identity, and you bring the fan bases there, and I think both sides would be excited about it. And I would make a big weekend out of it. If you did this in October, I would schedule – For example, USF plays at UCF this upcoming year in women's soccer. That could be your Friday night before the football game. And you do a promotion where you say, you know what? If you come out to the soccer game, you buy tickets or you could do USF and UCF the night before or the day, you know, and do the ticket giveaway. So that way you help your Olympic sports and you create buzz for the football game. Like it was from 05 to 08 when they renewed that rivalry and they were playing in September and they were selling the place out in both places. That's why I don't fight the game on Thanksgiving week it limits you, your audience, it caps you out. They'll never sell out that game uh, moving forward. I know people want to bring up the 2013 game. That was a fluke. That was a scenario where UCF was a top-ten team that year, possibly going to a big bowl, and people were excited locally, and it was a Friday. It all worked out. To, To depend on that every year I think would be a mistake, and I think this game needs to grow before you move it to Thanksgiving. That's my thoughts.
0: Humbug! I say you keep the game on Friday night. I want to see. I want to see. I want to see Black Friday. We don't even know if
1: it's going to be Friday night. We don't know that though. That's my point. If they if they play on Friday night, if they, I
0: want to see. I want to see the all black uniforms. I want to see black helmets. I want to see the game. The game at night. I want to see all the fans dressed in black. I want to make it real like Black Friday. Make it a real. But what if it's not?
1: And what if it's not? What if it's a noon game,
0: which has been the trend? Whatever. Yeah, put it, what do you put, mean, whatever?
1: That's a factor.
0: Put, put it put it in Put it at nighttime. You know, hopefully we should be hopefully both teams will be that's good enough choice. where they will put yeah, it at the, on prime time on Friday night. But that's, that's a, a problem.
1: problem. That's a problem. That's not a guarantee right now. And your fan bases aren't big enough to uh be stay with your teams if they're good. At least if the game's in October, both fan bases are still excited and intrigued by their teams and can gear up for that game. Like if you put UCF and USF early in the year, right, people will be excited. By November percentages of them might not be um, bah, and that's been pretty nah, they're going to the be excited back. for that game no they're not.
0: Yes, they are
1: I was, no and they, they weren't if they're, Were and they if they're
0: not if they're not it's okay. their if they if they're not it's their blasted
1: problem so what do you mean? How many people were there in Thanksgiving two years ago? Nobody. Nobody was there. Who was there last year? Last year, UCF was a bowl team. USF had their best year in football program history, and that stadium had, what, 20,000 people? Yeah, but that's that's what you USF's want from your That's team? not our problem. What is USF. Yeah, that's both teams' problems. What are you talking about? It's their it's game. Like- it's their home game. It's not our home game. So what What was the problem? Whose problem was it two years ago when there was about the same number at two UCF? They were like- a bad team. <laughs> okay, and they bailed. That's my point. They bailed. And I, if, I'm if, you,
0: if, if both teams are as good as they're expecting yeah. to be.
1: This Who is, says th- that? Why, fr- why would we why would assume that? Why would you want to assume that? No, you
0: can't make any assumption. at all. I'm saying if, right. and I'm not making any assumptions. I'm saying if both teams are as good as, at least in the preseason, they're, they're expected to be, that would be, a, to me, that would be prime real estate for a Friday night game in primetime on ESPN.
1: But what do I know? I don't disagree. I don't, I don't necessarily agree with that. I think there's a lot of college basketball. We don't even know what the schedule is on that Black Friday. There's probably going to be other marquee games that day that they might pick over that. We might get bumped to the news, ESPN News, for all we know. Um, I remember, in fact, in 2013, the UCF-USF game got bumped to ESPN News, the start of it, because the NIT championship in basketball went to overtime with Duke. So that tells you if how you much they really care about it. Yeah, but that's my – it's a Black Friday. It's a holiday. Like, it's just – people it's aren't going to go out of their weekend, way. Like everyone said, that, that, that
0: that's the thing. It's not, just, it's not just that's a holiday. It's a holiday weekend overall. And there yeah. are plenty of games that happen on Thanksgiving weekend. It's a football
1: weekend. Come out to the Correct. game. No more excuses. No, or, Get to the game. No, 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 no. Give me that no more excuse. Don't blame this on them. No, no. No, you're a family guy. No, you don't just say, yeah, I'm sorry, family. We're going to get out of here and go to the game. Yeah, and I slept d-
0: my butt to that game on Black Friday four
1: years ago. That's what I did. Yeah, where have you been recently? Huh? Okay. <laughs> oh, see, I've been to all these games. See, personally, here's the thing. People have this misconception. I don't care when the game's played. I actually, from a selfish standpoint, prefer Black Friday because then I can just watch the rest of the games on Saturday. So don't get me wrong. I don't care. I'm just telling you, from a, from a rivalry standpoint, it does not help this game at all at all it will never be thought of anything of significance outside of the two programs and i think this game has the potential to grow to be an interesting game throughout just orlando and tampa you know but what else game
0: more than grow? anything
1: yeah when the two teams are good yeah well they were go- they were pretty good last year they're, they're, i mean both teams got to bowl games they, what they happened were, last were, year we
0: were all right last year they were very good last year when both teams yeah. were good that's yeah, what helps. and they threw twenty so,
1: some thousand. But that's and that's they're never going to.
0: That's at USF Stadium, which they never sell out oh, anyway because their well, fan base well, is okay, awful.
1: Okay, but I got bad news for you: we're playing there every other year, so you can't just ignore that. And that's but, the problem. But, with I, this. I
0: think the problem is I don't understand why you're blaming our fans for their attendance problems.
1: You're acting like UCF packed a house in Tampa. You're, they brought what? We brought ten thousand, maybe. Why is that? Like,
0: I, why is that our fault that the game wasn't well attended in Tampa?
1: I didn't say it was. I'm just saying it's a holiday. It sounds I, like you I, are. Because here's my argument. I think if the game's in October, I think there would even be more UCF people that would go to Tampa. I actually, that's the thing. I think they would actually have more people. Double
0: I'm not, the people un, I'm that not 100% sure. And I think you're underselling sure the fact that. that, that
1: I know that students Raymond's, would go.
0: Students don't go. I think you're understating the fact that Raymond James actually has a very poor reputation among UCF fans, particularly USF's treatment of UCF fans in the past. I think, well, you, I I mean, I think you're underselling that because that, that is a factor.
1: Uh, what USFS? We just finished saying that they don't even go the to those that, games.
0: The ones that show up, uh, and and more than if more than a few UCF fans have told me about this about how poorly they were treated at the game by the by the USF fans. over well, they
1: what are you expecting? I'm not. I'm not, so, I'm not wait, saying that they should really, expect wait, wait,
0: anything wait. else. But that, no. but that's that's not an excuse. That's a reason.
1: So wait, 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 wait. So we're gonna make that a reason, an excuse. Mind you, that in 2013, the USF athletic directors, or was it the president's car, got uh, messed up right outside the stadium. Do you remember that story? No. What do you mean, you don't remember that story. I don't remember it was a big story. At
0: all, that story at all.
1: The president of the university's car. I'm not denying that it may have happened. His, but. Yeah, no, it happened. His wheel, his tires were slashed and everything. I mean, he didn't have a car. Like, so you want to? Let's not even. Let's not go there. Uh, yes, it's a rivalry game. Guess what? You're not going to get treated well on the road. That's the way it goes. But you know what? A lot of people sat in the UCF section. That's what you do. And there's a lot of people around you. That's football for you. Either you go or you don't go. But don't give me. You know, again, if the game's in October. You're going to pack the house. You're not going to pack the house on Thanksgiving weekend. Plus, I think you could, like I brought up the idea, you could have the Olympic sports involved with the I-4 trophy involved. I think you would have a big weekend out of it. And I think more national, more media in the state in the area would focus on the game instead of other games. I think it would be in the benefit. No one's going to pay attention to the UCF-USF game. Don't complain to me when the Orlando Sentinel puts your game on like the back pages because they're focused on Florida, Florida's thing. Can't have it both ways.
0: Nah, I think you're, yeah. I think you're overselling being like th- people being vindictive toward the game. I don't think that's fair. I, I, and I, I think that students will not if, go if, to that Thanksgiving game if they, they will not. if the game is if both teams are very good heading into this game at our stadium, it's going to be packed. It's going to, it's, it, it's going
1: to be packed. Wait, wait, wait. Uh, where, where, where? I don't agree with that. They're not going to be packed. Keep in mind, by the way, okay? because that's the argument. Well, UCF wins, they come, right? I was there in the 2010 Conference USA Championship game. They, the year they were ranked in the top 25, they won the Conference USA title against the SMU, and I'll never forget, in the press conference, Georgia Leary was asked by a media person about the fact that the game didn't even come close to a sellout because it was a noon kickoff. So, let's not act like UCF's Packing the house, the fans show up at every game, and they, you know, take over Tampa. No. no, I agree with you. They need to show up more, but I understand why they don't show up. And if they don't show up on Thanksgiving week, 2013, the- by
0: we- the way, when this game was was at 8 p.m. on Black Friday, uh-huh. forty six thousand yeah. people and you, at Bright. Okay, and
1: you, yeah, what was you? have number in front of it. Oh, that's right, top ten. No,
0: they top weren't. They 10. were seventeenth.
1: Top 20. Okay. But I think we all knew what was at stake. That was an easy deal. Exactly. Plus. And isn't that what UCF mind.
0: expects to be?
1: No. So I if, mean, well, you can't assume that every wait, year. Wait,
0: wait, wait. That, you, wait you, don't, you don't think that they expect to be a top 25 program when their athletic I mean, director has certain. said that that's what he
1: wants? I think they do, but you can't assume that. And remember, the 2013 game, they hadn't played the U.S. So, oh, wait. So, you can, so if that's years. the case, you can't assu- – if you're
0: telling me that I can't assume that, then you can't yep. assume that the attendance is just going to be poor
1: outright. Uh, I think I have the numbers back me. The last three years have not been good. The last
0: years at 36,009 in 2014, yeah. which was at Raymond yep. James Stadium, which you can't hold against inflated, UCF.
1: Inflated. It's inflated. Can't hold nah. against UCF. All right. Go
0: ahead. 2015, 25,967 Woo-hoo! at UCF when UCF was a bad team.
1: Oh, but but this is your rivalry game. This is the game, yeah, well, right? No, listen. You know
0: when you have a bad team, and you and USF wasn't all that great either, but they weren't as bad as we were. That was that that was a bad game involving a
1: bad team yes. that no one wanted to and see. And on Thanksgiving night, on Thanksgiving night, nobody would in their right mind would have gone on Thanksgiving night. I said that four months prior again, I, to I, that. I, I get. Well, you're right.
0: Thinking. No, listen. You're right about Thanksgiving night. But again, yeah. we're not having the game on Thanksgiving night. We're when are we having Black it? Friday?
1: What time do we know? We don't know. We, we may not know until exactly, November. That's what
0: the schedule's saying
1: right now. Is it like that's for what happened last? Well, I mean, that's the problem, though. See, we can't people that's the way college football works. You don't know until we like last year's UCF USF game. We didn't know it was a noon kickoff till literally six days before, and that affects some people's planning. That you have to can't deny that that, that, and, that does affect. Planning. And
0: last year in Tampa, 36,056 and the first ever time that these two teams were both bowl eligible ha- heading into the game.
1: And that's an inflated number because I was there and it was not 36,000.
0: No, that's what it that's what it says right there. And oh, by the way, not to mention the fact that, again, it was at Raymond James Stadium, which is notoriously poorly attended by all of USF's fans. And everyone knows that.
1: How did UCF, by the way, draw in the bowl game in, in Orlando, by the way? Did we pack the house there? No, that was a bad, What's the that was excuse a bad day. Well, what was the excuse? Give I'm me not, the excuse.
0: No, that's not an excuse. I'm just saying okay. that, was a, that was a poorly attended game, but that's not what we're talking about. Don't change the subject.
1: No, I'm just saying you're making it sound like it's a lock that UCF will kind of come out in droves and fans, and I would argue that that's not I'm the not case. I'm not saying they it's a just, lock.
0: I'm saying it's a lot more likely than you
1: think it is. I'm pretty confident that it won't. I'm pretty and especially if that game's a noon game, are you kidding? nobody's going to go to that noon game on a black friday. I hope look. I just don't think it's good for the river. I don't think it's good for the game. I think you have to think long term. You have to think of your young fan. If you're a student, you don't go to this game. You're not going to be attached to this game. There's no reason to be attached to this game if Why you don't go to you this be game. be att- attached to this game? because they don't come to the, they don't go to the game so there's no experience to gather wow you know i really hate that usf fan. he treated me like and i really enjoyed beating them that day if you're not going to the game uh, you're i think the you're game
0: way people, oh, underestimating the students
1: where were they i haven't seen them are they're not they don't go to these games they go to their, and i don't blame them see this is the thing i don't blame them it's a family weekend i can't tell someone to say go leave your family go to the game i can't tell them drop your plans drop drop your travel plans Go, no, I can't tell them that. I'm and not going to do that. They did four years ago. Look, again, Black Friday night, top 20 team. They were the hot story in town. You know, it worked and, out. And if that happens
0: again, I have see no reason why history wouldn't repeat itself. Oh, oh, well, so we
1: just need them. Okay, so we just need both teams to be top 25, and we're good. That's it. That's it. It would certainly right. help, wouldn't it? Yeah, but that's, I mean, what are you asking for there? I mean, that's asking a lot. Yeah, no, it's that's not. Just really, Because here's my other <laughs> argument. If those two teams are in the top 25, you could sell out the whole year. That's fine. You could sell out Labor Day night. I'm talking about the normal year, but that's not
0: going to be But if we're talking about top 25, we're talking about two teams that have set that expectation for themselves. If they're both in the top 25, they're only following their own expectations, are they not?
1: They haven't uh, reached it on a consistent basis. You can't assume that they will. They're not established enough in that way. And by the way, USF has just had a pretty good run. You just said it. They don't come to their games. So are you sure that UCF will have a packed out? Because I'll tell you, I didn't see a lot of fans in the stands in the last, in November, in the end of the year. What was the excuse then? I don't know. That, I, I can't, that tell, win, you. Right? I can't I mean, tell you. Okay, because I was there for Cincinnati. They didn't sell out Cincinnati. They didn't sell out Tulsa. And I, I'm telling you, it's not UCF's fault, and they're trying all they can. They've done everything. It's on the fans. So don't assume to me that these people are just going to show up if they're top 25 or if they have a winning team because – they had a, you know, good thing, right? That was the whole thing. You know, uh, the, the the excuse I heard after 2015, ah, oh, I'm just, you know, if George O'Leary leaves, we're going to go to games. It didn't happen. It didn't happen. Some people, for whatever reason, didn't go to games. They didn't they weren't there for the Tulsa game, senior night. I was there. It was not a packed house. um I don't even think they had an official sellout this year. Maybe they did. And, again, Maybe they come more, and you know, all the schedule, certain things doesn't work out. Certainly the hurricane didn't help out with Tulane because it affected some people's schedules. But to suggest that they're just going to come in droves on Black Friday, that that's not going to affect people, I think, is very naive. It's a holiday. Um, I, I, I disagree. I think you're always they're going to affect certain people that would have gone to that game. There's a percentage. Who knows? Obviously, yes. If they, both teams are top 25, people will go the extra mile. But you that's 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 an extra mile that's not a normal circumstances Florida, Florida State always sells out regardless of their records
0: H.L. Mencken said no one ever went broke underestimating the intelligence of the American public. Eric Lopez says no one ever went broke underestimating the passion and attendance ability of the u c f fan base. Wow. <laughs>
1: That's- oh, I got two more ideas. So I got two more ideas for oh, these youth. So, so, you, you, you do not even—you just dismissed the Olympic idea with the Olympic sports around the weekend. I, I actually, heck, do actually, a-
0: do think that there should be more done with that. But, but, but if you have, but if you have in October, when you're in November, you're in no man's land. But anyway, go
1: ahead. Well, of course, right. That's why I said move the game to October. You could bring out, you know, help the Olympic sports there. Heck, you could do a Hall of Fame weekend around that time. I mean, you can do a lot of things with that. Heck, if you move the game to October, to your point, if both teams are top twenty-five, maybe you get College Game Day to come to your game. Which which will never happen on Thanksgiving weekend, by the way, but that's a whole other story. Um, so, here, that's one of my ideas. I loved the UCF USF. I don't know if you, uh, last year in 2016, both baseball and softball were in Tampa the same time. They played in the same weekend, they're next door to each other. I love that, and I think the American Conference should do that for UCF USF every year in baseball and softball. Because baseball, for people that don't know, Baseball plays six times, so it's a home, three in UCF, three at USF. Softball only plays three times. So, like, for example, this season, UCF is hosting USF. They, I would have set it up to have UCF host USF in softball the same weekend UCF host USF in baseball. You know, you can make the times work and have both fan bases support both sides, because I enjoyed that in Tampa. I thought more UCF fans showed up uh, in Tampa to watch both. Both teams were supporting each other. I thought that was fantastic. I enjoyed that a lot and I'd like to see that more. And in basketball, uh, really bizarre, but women's basketball only played once this year because it's a, you know, imbalanced schedule. So certain teams every year you don't play once. I was surprised that UCF USF only plays once, but assuming that both men and women play twice home and home normally, I would pick one of those to have a back to back. The women's game and the men's game on the same day is a doubleheader. What do you think? I
0: see. I always wish that we had. I, I always wish that we had these doubleheaders in in basketball. The way, like, I think actually in the A Sun they still do this. Right. I I miss that, but of course you can't really do it because of the television contracts nowadays. Sure. want the, They want the games to start at a specific time. Uh, sure. But I I really do wish that we could do that. Have have a doubleheader for. Uh, for for basketball, and I've been wishing that for a long time. It just, it's just it's one of those things where it's like, boy, wouldn't that be nice? It'll never happen. Yeah, I, I, it's kind of like the same thing, you know. Like I always wished, you know, kind of along the same lines, that the men's and women's final fours occurred at the same place. For example, uh, in in basketball, and and, and you yeah. could have like a quadruple header one day, and a, and a and a double header of championships the next, and make it like this big giant basketball. Blowout weekend, um, you know, from that perspective, and you can, and obviously, you know, there are some smaller conferences that do that, but the American I think is in a position, and actually, this is this is not actually a complaint because you kind of don't want to be in that position, you know. But the American is in a position where they can, you know, dictate times. You know, women's and men's basketball occur on different days anyway during the course of the week, unless something screwy happens with the schedule. So, as much as it would be nice. I understand why it doesn't, and actually the reason why it doesn't is because the Americans a bigger conference than that, and that's a good thing.
1: But, I mean, you could still sneak in. I mean, it's funny. Like, we brought this up, right? Like, this weekend, women's basketball is hosting East Carolina. The men's are playing at East Carolina. Like, you're really telling me. That it's that complicated to just make a switch there and have both play in the same place within a few hours, like one plays at two, one plays at four thirty or six. You know if what I mean? If it
0: wasn't I- basketball, it wouldn't be that complicated. But because it is right. basketball, it is.
1: I think you could make it happen. I understand what you're saying that like there's probably one
0: a, game go, what if you what if you have like the women's game scheduled on like ESPN news, the men's game scheduled on ESPN two, and then the women's game goes to triple overtime.
1: Well, first of all, because from a technology I mean, I would have the similar crew do the game. So I, I wouldn't even switch the crews if you want if you're worried about money from that standpoint. And you know I, but you know you can you know you, I mean that's happened before in these other sports though, where games go long. I mean uh the AC this recently on Big Monday, right Syracuse Louisville went to overtime, so the start of Kansas West Virginia right, right, got right. Moved those are those are
0: games in different locations entirely, and you just switch over to the next game. The thing is when the when one game ends, you need x amount of minutes for both for the the teams to warm up for the next game. That's the problem. You need at least 30 minutes in between.
1: I think you could organize it, though, a certain way. I mean, for example, uh, because I've seen Texas Tech do this. Texas Tech played Kansas in men's basketball, and that was an ESPN, one of the ESPN uh, channel games. So they played that at 2, and then Texas Tech women played at 5, so they had enough room to make adjustments Um, because the Big 12 women's basketball plays on Saturdays. They don't play Sundays, and so they all get them done. And sometimes what they do is they'll do home games, but based on the channel, for example, if the men's game is priority, they'll put that earlier or at night, and then they move the women's game. So they give them a little bit of a buffer zone in there. And maybe that's what you do. Maybe you do a three- or four-hour buffer zone, and maybe in between games, you kind of schedule things as a festival, maybe a a party or maybe a – Tailgating event, and you know, you can maybe work around that. You know, uh, maybe you do a Hall of Fame weekend that weekend if you don't want to do it during the football season or in the spring. Um, now your, your points are legit about some of the television logistics, uh, are probably the reason it won't happen. I just think it's a shame because, uh, I don't think the basketball schedule has helped, you know, especially, you know, like for example, this women's game, UCF USF was a Tuesday night at seven. I know they've done this in the past with the men's game where they'll tip off at six fifteen on a Tuesday or Wednesday. It's hard it kind of gets lost in the shuffle. Um I just feel like they, you know, make it a one at least one of them, not both of them, but maybe pick one of those two games to be on a weekend Saturday and make a weekend a day out of it. I think it'll be fun for both sides on that. Uh much easier to do in softball and baseball to your point. Uh last year when they were in Tampa, they, what they did is they had softball play at four. And then baseball is at 630. But now here's the counter to your argument. The way the USF complex is set up is they couldn't start that baseball game until the softball game ended. Because the way the stadium is structured, there's a lot of foul balls on both sides that softball goes into baseball, etc. So they actually try not to play baseball games during softball games because of that, because they have interruptions. Uh, the schedule worked out fine. So that what they did is they had the softball games at 4, baseball at 6.30, except Sunday what they did was on Sunday is they had the baseball game at 1, and they had softball at 5 because ESPNU picked up the game on softball ride. So that was the reason why they did that. Uh So what they did is they moved up the baseball game to make sure there was enough buffer zone so they didn't run into a delay on ESPNU. So, um I don't know, There was just some ideas. You know, we, we got this big trophy we're playing for. I think we could push it on, on, on those levels. Can you imagine that? Like I, you did, like a UCF-USF day, and then you're showcasing that trophy to the fans on both sides. I, I, mean, I, I, I like fun. the
0: idea in the abstract, but again, like you mentioned before earlier in the show, t- TV is what determines this kind of stuff, and I don't and I don't see how the how ESPN would jump on board with that. You know, as fun as it would be to see, I don't see I don't see them actually if they suggest if someone suggested that to ESPN they would laugh us out of the room which would
1: kind of kind of make well, sense. Well, I, mean, I mean like I, said, I mean like I said I mean if the game is runs late on ESPN3 that's not a big deal like for example um you know the if like for by your theory let's say they would have done the men's game first on ESPN news and that runs long and the women's games on ESPN3 well it doesn't matter it's ESPN3 you're not really going up against any other programming so maybe that's the way you do it now obviously the question would be you know, the crew members, Would both of them want to do both games. Do you bring in a separate crew for the women's? Of course, we have a – I mean, that's a whole other conversation. I mean, the USGF, USF softball game last year, I don't know if you realize this, was done. <laughs> the broadcast crew from ESPNU that did the UCF-USF game, you know where they did the game from? They did it from the Disney Studios. They didn't even go to Tampa to do the game. Right. So that's they, were, a-
0: <laughs> they were there in the booth in at, at uh, Wide World, right?
1: Uh, yes, yes, which was why I, I did some comments there when I was at USF. I'm like, the only broadcaster here in the building today uh, calling the game. So it's interesting how television has taken off and all that stuff. So, look, listen, I understand people are going to agree with me and they're going to yell at me and they're going to – I just want what's best. For me. I think this game, this rivalry has a lot of potential. I like the trophy. Uh, I, I want. I like the fact that all the sports – are involved. Going back to what we talked about earlier, that women's game, UCF picking up six points, that's huge. Um, I like all that. I just want what's best for this rivalry. And I know people don't like USF, but you do need both sides to work together on this. And and let's be honest, it's in our best interest that these games are packed with people instead of empty seats, because whether you want to blame USF or do this, if television looks at that and they're like, wow, that's an empty seat, then why am I interested in this game? Why am I carrying this game? So I think there's a lot of bigger picture stuff here that I hope uh, grows with this game. And I think both pro universities actually agree on that. I think that's why they're working together on this, don't you?
0: Yeah, exactly. I, I think that they both finally realized, and we talked about this before in a previous show, that you know having this rivalry is mutually beneficial. And so the more and and I think. Part of that goes back to the whole, con- you know, potential, you know, conference shuffle that wasn't, you know, where right. you know it, 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 we're better, you know, we're better together than we are apart. So that's what it goes. That that's what I think it goes to. All right. So as we, as we wrap up here, finishing up this crazy rivalry talk. Um, oh, I wanted <laughs> to add a little, um, an additional football note. Uh, Rob Calvary's former UCF quarterback, uh, tried his hand at coaching. Was a grad assistant with us for a while. He's been hired as the offensive coordinator at Wagner. And quarterback coach. So, uh, congrats to Rob. And from West, I, I think he's from West Islip, New York. So, um, he was with Jeff Collins uh, briefly up at Temple, but he got the call to be. Uh, he was initially listed in Temple staff as an offensive analyst, but he got the call to be an offensive coordinator. So, best of luck to Rob uh, going forward from there. Uh, also, tennis—they're playing this weekend, uh, both men's and women's, now at the USTA uh, Tennis Complex. So if you get the chance. Head on down there and check them out. So lots of stuff going on this weekend, Lopez. What are you up to?
1: Well, Saturday I'll be at the uh, CFE Arena. Be calling the uh, UCF, East Carolina Women's Basketball Game for the American Digital Network. It'll be myself and Despina Barton. Tip off at 2 o'clock. Certainly encourage people to go out there. I think the the girls deserve it after the the win over USS. Yes. Um, get a chance to see Aaliyah Gregory. Um, and I'll be interested to see, Jeff, and you mentioned touched on this earlier. They have this emotional win against USF, the biggest win in program history. How do you That's react? Season, how do you about? How do you, yes? Do you do you have a letdown? I know Coach Abe has talked about this team sometimes having letdowns after uh, good wins and handling prosperity. This will be a challenge uh, against East Carolina. I'm looking forward to seeing how they respond if they've learned from the past and can continue this momentum uh moving forward into the end of the regular season. I'm very interested to see how this kind of goes. Two o'clock tip from the CFE arena. I'll be on the call for that on the American digital network. So that's what I would like uh, the audience, hopefully to either go to the game uh, or you could just, you know what you could do? You could go to the game and then go on your phone app and you can still log into the broadcast, right?
0: Exactly. And uh, <laughs> now I wish I could be there, but Saturday I will actually am planning to be actually, this is a totally not UCF sports related situation. Okay. I will be at uh, Kennedy space center for NASA social They They invited me over to, um, Cover basically the um, the uh, SpaceX launch CRS ten that's happening from Pad thirty nine A over there. So I'm going to be covering that, uh, and uh, also they'll be landing that rocket as it happened. I got I, I check the weather's fifty fifty shot at a good launch on Saturday. So um, yeah, where the event is going to be taking place on Friday and Saturday they're initially planning. We're just keeping an eye on the weather right now. Hopefully it does get off on Saturday because that would be nice to see. If not, it'll likely happen on Sunday because they're Flying a flying a, a spacecraft up to the International Space Station, so uh, I'm looking forward to that, and I'll be posting plenty of pictures um, oh, there and writing uh, writing that up on my other uh, aviation history blog, AirEnthusiast.com. So make sure you check. I'll that get out. Their,
1: Make sure you tell them. Ask them for their opinion on the UCF-USF game
0: being yeah. on Black Friday. Yeah, I'd like to take that <laughs> proposal of yours and put it in the capsule with them.
1: Anyway, uh, <laughs> <that'll laughs> oh, Lottie. Not a lot of UCF sporting events. Make a note. I mean, this, now this yes. is the time of year where you got to actually know. We mentioned the women's basketball game is Saturday at 2 on the American Digital Network. The men are at East Carolina later that day. Um, so make sure you check that details out. Baseball home opener series against Siena this weekend, 6.30 on Friday. 6.30 on Saturday. Make a note of that. No longer 4 o'clock games on Saturday. That's been done the last few years. Not the case this year. 6.30 Saturday and then the early game on Sunday. Go to ucfknights.com for all the details on that. Softball is out in California. Go to flowsoftball.com if you want to watch the games. You have to subscribe to that as well. So uh, I think we covered all the UCF. A lot of UCF to watch.
0: All right, there, man. It's another good show, man. We went. I know we went over this time around, but that's perfectly fine with me. So, so that'll do it for uh, us here in the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Don't forget to uh, subscribe and rate us on iTunes. You can also subscribe to us on uh, Google Play. SoundCloud and tune in. Follow me at Jeff underscore Sharon. Follow Eric Lopez at Eric Lopez Elo. And you can also uh follow us at blackandgoldbanneret.com, UCF underscore banneret on Twitter and also on Facebook with the Black and Gold Banneret. So for Eric Lopez, by the way, huge thanks once again to Greg Lovelady for spending for taking some time for us, new UCF baseball coach. Thanks to Bill Morrison for making that happen. For Eric Lopez, I'm Jeff Sharon. Thanks for listening. This has been the Black and Gold Banner Podcast. We'll catch you next week.